0: Hello and welcome back to Blood and Ashes. This is episode 24. I am your long lost host, Mo, and I'm joined once more by my dear friends, Jody Nooknagh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Philly Nooknagh. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Tell me that's Klingon. Of course it is. (laughs) Damn it, Joe, it
2: is. (laughs) Did you try and steal my Klingon? No, I didn't. I've got it all prepped. I've been working on that stupid thing for a while. (laughs) (laughs) What are the
3: chances?
2: (laughs) Well, you can tell our show is not scripted.
3: I I got uh, conned into doing this by uh, one of our very good listeners that uh, gave me a little nudge on Twitter, Adrian. And said, you should definitely (laughs) one-up Jody before he gets it with Klingon. So I was like, Uh. hell yeah. At first I was like, nah, the nerd (laughs) stuff is Jody's domain. I'll leave that. I'm not a trackie. But then it grew on me. And now I'm like, oh, well, I suppose I'm happy I did it. Because uh, (laughs) otherwise (laughs) I would have said (laughs) a Hey, look, you can never have too much Klingon. The, no, no, it's it's unspeakable language that makes no sense <laughs> even that <laughs> greeting makes no sense it's more a command than a greeting <laughs> wow adrian having a massive impact on the show
0: Good for you. <laughs> hey adrian <laughs> okay well guys welcome back to the show it feels like a fucking eternity since we've recorded last and i mean it's really just an extra week we usually record every two weeks and it's been three so i don't know like um have you, guys, have you guys
2: read like three of the books since
0: we recorded last?
2: <laughs> I am well into, I am
3: five chapters from the end. So I, oh, I did right, get okay. ahead of myself. No, I am not falling into that trap because I'm not rereading the same book three times. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> because that's what I did with book one and two.
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a real time sink when you do a two, three passes of the,
3: of the chapters before you, uh, before you do the recording. Well, look, it's not a waste of time. So, I mean sometimes I watch the same cartoons over and over, like Rick and Morty. I mean <laughs> Yeah. Am I wasting my time? Yes. I'm not sure. <laughs> yes I mean you look, are. the
0: whole premise the whole premise of our show is that we've done this before and we're doing it again. So I guess <laughs> Well, time is a wheel. <laughs> <laughs> it's secular, some <laughs> might say. <laughs> okay, so I mean, that means that you guys are not too far ahead. Um But before we carry on moving even further ahead, let's instead go back in time for a segment I like to call callbacks.
3: (laughs) (laughs) uh, It's a short one this time. Don't worry about it. Did you get a jingle? I did like uh, the last addition to that little rewind jingle you had. (laughs) <laughs> the, music. the elevator music the elevator music one, yeah
0: <laughs> it got a
3: good response from a couple of listeners I like it as well yeah. um, before we hit the callbacks mm. can we make this instead of doing a three hour episode, now that my commute to work has changed, to maybe an hour episode, that way I can actually work it in maybe a week <laughs> sure, we'll <laughs> format the show around the length of your commute <laughs> I know, I know it's tough, it's a really a tough one for me now all my it favorite podcasts are broken up into a week-long travel.
0: Look, I mean, we, we're off to a good start then because the callback section this week is quite short. Okay, only go a couple of them. It. Okay, so the first one is a Villy translation, uh, as we have come to know and love. Uh, it was when um, Perrin and Co. moved through a village uh, called I think it's Talan, in which Rand's Taveren nature had opened old wounds and old arguments flared up, resulting in three murders before the people were sort of shocked back into their to their senses. Now, Vili, you said that cows were dug out of the ditches, which I thought was maybe straight straight translation from Afrikaans, but when I looked it up, it seems like it is an old Dutch saying. So obviously, yep. our Afrikaans Dutch roots uh, brought that all the way from the Netherlands. Uh, and it is, <laughs> I think it wouldn't make a lot of sense to English-speaking listeners that are not South African or Dutch, but it means bringing up old arguments like digging up an old dead cow from a ditch. Um, and to those who were confused by the reference to cows and ditches in that context, that is a, a well-known saying. <laughs> it's not that well-knowing. I've never heard it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Have you never heard it, Joe? No. I just really, really just
3: speak so much crap that uh, I just accept it. Just roll with it, you know. It's a luring bit of my character that people don't always know that I actually know quite a bit because I speak a lot of crap in between. Ah.
0: (laughs) I see. You're doing the thing that Matt did. Make people think that you're a fool. Yeah, Exactly.
3: in that case well done (laughs) (laughs) hey wait i'm gonna go to the casino tonight (laughs) oh no wait we're in lockdown (laughs) casino's closed oh yeah
0: god right so what was the next one the next one was look this was this is more for my own sanity that i'm trying to tie a nice little bow around this but remember i was I was having trouble wrapping my mind around how the news of Masima being the prophet of the dragon could travel from Johanna as fast as it did to Riemann and get there before the team. And Jody, you pretty much said what I'm about to say, uh, but I was just not crocking it. Uh, <laughs> but I was always under the false assumption. And this is probably what led me astray that Rand was trying to get to tear as fast as possible, which, in my mind, subconsciously translated to he is making a beeline there, he's trying to go as fast as possible. Then Perrin, Land, Moraine, Loyal, following him, um, also trying to you know catch up to him, going as fast as possible, would outrun any, anyone else carrying the news. But what I realized in our off time, and which I should have, should have realized when you actually mentioned this, is that obviously Rand is trying to avoid capture. So he's mm. not traveling on the main road. It's all off-road. So Rand, while moving fast, for someone moving off-road was not moving as fast as what news could travel along the Lugard Road. So there was certainly an opportunity for merchants and stuff to bring that news down from Johanna. Uh, Rowan wrote in and said there's probably even cause for um, accepting the fact that you know news could have made it uh, due east to Whitebridge and then down the river all the way down to Riemann and on to Ilian." So. There are multiple avenues through which that news could have spread. Uh, My assumption that Rand and Moiraine and Lan and those guys were all moving the fastest possible route was completely incorrect. Uh, So I'm going to let that to rest now. And people can (laughs) refrain from educating me if they feel the need to. Um, I'm on board now. All right. Apology accepted.
3: (laughs) Sure. Sure. (laughs) I I still believe they just sent a crow, man Send a crow It was a pigeon
0: (laughs) Or a badger We had another sort of uh, fun jokey one About uh, when we were talking about cleaving heads in twain We were sort of tossing about (laughs) uh, potential t-shirts And I just threw a date out there Saying that the slogan on the t-shirt could be Cleaving heads in twain since 954NE Um, So after I listened to the episode and you know having edited it and listened to it, I thought, okay, let me go see what the you know how far off was I with that date. Um, I just pulled that date out of thin air, but the actual year of Gaul's um, release from the cage when Perrin did it was nine ninety NE. So I was a uh, a full forty five years off the mark, Um, Mm. and apparently it is only it's two years before Moraine was born. 954 NE is two years before Maureen was born. She was born in 956 NE, which makes her like, you know, 43 years
3: old. What's the NE stand for? New Era. All ah, right. Yeah. So, close,
0: but no cigar.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Um,
0: and then the last one is, we were wondering whether Loyal's chair was also sung wood. It wasn't. It was just the bed. The
2: no. end.
3: Yes, Night. it was only the bed. Yeah. Is that,
2: what do you mean, the end of the story about the beds and chairs or the end of the callbacks?
3: No, the end of, the end of pedantry.
2: Okay, <laughs> this is the
3: end of the callbacks.
2: All right. Now, this is not the end of pedantry,
3: Bill, please. That's na- <laughs> uh, very naive of you. Oh, no. Sounds, sounds, no. Look, by the sounds of things, it didn't sound like you had enough things to check up on and look into, Mo. So perhaps we should no. um, just be erroneous no. in our ways. <laughs> well, I'm counting on you for that, Phil. come on I'm not here for accuracy
0: (laughs) no and also me with my stubborn nature and my preconceived notions like news not being able to travel fast enough (laughs) is laying plenty of groundwork for callbacks next time so let's see
3: what wonderful misconceptions I can dig up this time like an old cow from a ditch in true (laughs) life um, and as the small little surf town that we lived in together you know how quickly news spread through that place so oh, yeah, it's 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 feasible that news can travel in a uh, a setting of this nature quite fast. Yeah, and look, I mean, just I mean, at the risk of
0: sort of belabouring the point, Moraine, you know, she couldn't just take the Lugard Road and speed ahead of Rand to try and cut him off. She was under the impression that they could catch up to him, and she would also not know for a fact where he would pass through, so she could head him off. So they were forced to follow on his heels through difficult terrain at, you know, again, a breakneck pace for the terrain they were moving through, but not necessarily the fastest way to get to Riemann or Ilion uh, mm. or Tyr for that matter. So their their hand was forced and then after what happened in Riemann, they also just had to jump on a boat and get out of dodge. So that's when she decided, okay, cool, we'll just go on to Ilion and then we'll go straight to Tier, And we know mm. that he's going, or at least we have a strong suspicion that he's going there, so we'll just have to catch him at the very end
2: where she, you know, thought she might catch up to him along the way it was their turn to throw the dice sure also i mean i would think the same if i had lan on my team i think it was lan and me we'll find this farm boy in no time but obviously not (laughs) but the Ayul blood runs strong in him oh it does indeed
0: okay so let's get into the fun stuff uh but before we do just quickly previously on blood and ashes uh we read about Matt running into Tom in a pub and convincing him to come to Camelon with him, uh, but only after some assassins and possibly a gray man tried to kill him in the streets of Tarvalon. So they boarded a boat in Tarvalon uh, and they fight off another couple of assassination, assassination attempts on the boat. And then we switched to Perrin, Moraine, Lan and Loyal, following Rand to a town called Riemann, where Perrin sees both Fail and, and Gaul for the first time He frees Gaul and kills a bunch of white clerks in the process and they all run from town via a boat which is boarded at the last second by Fayil, who is clearly intrigued by Perrin and is sort of like making him a little bit uneasy before he heads below deck. And that is where we left off. So that brings us to today's chapters, the first of which is chapter 36 called Daughter of the
3: Night. And Vili, why don't you take us through that one? I wonder who that daughter of the night could be.
1: <clears throat>
3: Anywho, Beefy Boy is a tired boy, and uh, <laughs> on the boat, he is looking for his room. No one showed him to his little quarters, but eventually, after two failed attempts, he finds a spot to sleep. Um, only to find Louel on the floor, already starting to make notes and wanting to talk to Perrin about some facts of the trip. But he's opted out of that one and said, no, there must be an empty room around here. He finds himself another cabin, and he is on the bed, ready to sleep. Perrin, uh, beefy boy, is a tired boy. So Perrin uh, goes to sleep, and uh, immediately he is back in the wolf dream. And uh, it's misty. It's all mist. Like he cannot even see down to his waist or his hands, and he, he can feel, sense something's coming, and it's a wolf, and it's Hopper. So Hopper comes and stands next to Perrin. He puts his hand on Hopper, and he can sort of grab Hopper's fur and senses that he has to be, or is going to be led by Hopper somewhere. And Hopper takes him on an out-of-world experience as he, all of a sudden, is a ghost in the air. (laughs) Invisible, can't be seen or can't see himself or Hopper, and they are hovering above a... uh, what sounds or appears to be mirrors in a ray somehow. Mm. A little bit weird in the darkness, but yet in the light, as if there's thousands of candles. And he witnesses people from all different types and scantily clothed and clothed and some in their their, uh, sleepwear, some completely naked, all of them sort of like, how did I get here? Confusion. And from all different places of the world. As so they got pulled into this uh dream by uh old Bazman, but Alzheimer's is back <laughs> and he Baz is Nerman. uh yeah yeah, he is <laughs> dropping it, he's angry, his mouth is on fire, his eyes are on fire, and uh he's going off because uh one of the boys have escaped now I assume and I gather this is Matt that he's talking about mm. and he mm. is he's not stoked, and he uh reminds them that failure has got consequences and even in the dreams something can happen. And he demonstrates quite uh, happily what he can do and then sends all these dark friends off to go and do his bidding. And then as they all sort of just disappear, uh, Lanthea appears and Perrin recognizes her. It's like the beautiful woman that he had seen in the past. And she is like, okay, well, she appears then and then... next minute a throne, a silver throne sort of appears behind her and she sits down straightens out the skirts and all of that still looking as pretty as uh, Perrin remembered her and she then tells um, Ishamal that uh, why is he using her domain this is her her place and what is he plotting and they then uh, get into a little bit of a discussion about who is serving who a little bit confusing. Um, I don't know if you guys want to build on that. But basically, yeah, they are just what I would sum up as sizing each other up.
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> no comments. <laughs> I think that there is a um, something that Robert Jordan is trying to do in that moment is he is trying to have Lanfear have a conversation with Ishmael as if he is her peer or her even her subordinate while still letting Perrin think that Ishmael is the dark one mm. so a lot of the, the the actual dialogue is quite ambiguous like you know that Lanfear is talking to Belzen who is Ishmael and they are sort of having their little pissing contest but you also know that Perrin still thinks that Baalzaman is the dark one. So everything, whenever um, Baalzaman or Ishmael is talking about, like, you know, you still serve the great Lord. It's, it sounds like he's, if he is the dark one, he sounds like he's speaking about himself in the third person all the time. Yeah, But it is, I think... Robert Jordan is trying to thread the needle there or just walk that fine line between having Eshamil and Lanfear speak to each other as peers while still allowing Perrin to think that Eshamil is the dark one because first time readers at this point still think that that is the dark one. Mm. So I think that's
3: why it might be a little bit confusing and ambiguous. Yeah, that, that was okay. Cool. Now that makes a little bit more sense to me. But yeah, rightly, like you say, they have their little pissing contest there. <laughs> Like that, Um, yeah. And uh, (laughs) with that, uh, Hopper takes him away, and he's in rolling green hills. And he spots Rand. Uh, I think he has a little sort of a a wolf talk with Hopper, asking Hopper sort of how is it that you are here. And it's like, but and Hopper sort of getting the images across that. All wolves come here when they die, so it's kind of like puppy heaven or something.
0: Yeah, does he not say like all wolves that ever were and ever will be, like all yeah, the All are, yeah, of Yeah, all, the,
3: br- <laughs> all the brothers and sisters that are, that all that were, all that will be. So even future wolves are there. Yeah, that's a lot of wolves. There's a lot of wolves in there. I don't know. We've spotted a few of them. But anyway, um, yeah, and he gets taken to to Rand, who is being pursued by so many dark friends. The, the Madral stink is all over the place, and he can f- smell the sulfur, and he can hear the hounds. And it's it's just Rand being encircled by all of this, and Rand is just throwing balls of fire, and he's throwing lightning, and he's going crazy. And Perrin calls out to him. Rand, careful, they're coming from behind, sort of trying to making him alert. And Rand spots Perrin. And then it's like, burn you as well. And throws lightning, I assume, at Perrin. And mm. that sort of wakes Perrin up. And he's left with a, a penny size mark on his chest. And that sort of like freaked Perrin out a little bit. He's like, okay, cool. There's a lot he hasn't told Moraine, but this he will go and have a chat with her about. Mm. So he... He then goes on, finds Moraine in one of the, the third or the fourth cabin that he knocks on after a few curses from sleeping sailors. And um, luckily this time he barges in on her fully clothed. And uh, he lets her know about Lanthia and are the Forsaken free then? Because she's there. That's definitely her. The the, um, the Dark One spoke to her and named Lanthia. And she's like, yeah, I said that sort of... The bounds are broken, and some of them might be getting free, free. But you know, be careful in the wolf dreams. And she's like, "Just you know, if if some red Aja caught you with this, they would surely try and gentle you, and nothing would happen." So I'm not I'm not saying that you can channel. Just like this is a very 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 unique thing that you have, and mm. only three men in as many decades have been ever been caught by the red ajah or whether they were hunted or not but it's uh be very careful with it i suppose a bit more of a warning and uh mm. and there's reason to be frightened of it because um the, it's it's a big thing that he can just get into these streams so yeah he uh he obviously doesn't like that parent then mm. uh, asks um her about the woman on the boat uh fail fail what, what did we mm. decide on now <laughs> fail. I'm going with Fail. Fail. Um and yeah, the, she's got a obviously her name that uh puts her sort of a saldan um Zarin, and she's she's obviously been had a great expectation of her either of beauty or as a heartbreaker. Um and was gonna lie on pillows in the cushion uh cushions in the palace and what have mm. you not. What did she say about Zirin?
0: She says that uh, Zirin's name is a Saldan name and that it is something, like you said, is um, yeah, great beauty someone and... who is expected to be a beauty or a heartbreaker, but it's, it basically comes down to it's probably like a noble or someone that's well okay. with, with great expectations 100%. placed on them. And that Perrin is probably in trouble if there is someone named Zirin after him.
3: <laughs> All right. Okay, cool. Well, that, yep. Yeah. So, uh, Zerine is uh, then probably a noble, but she is. We know that. Yeah, she's Dabron Bashir's daughter. And, like, isn't she like friends with Queen Tanobia or whatever her name is from Zelda A? We'll see how high up she is when we get there. Um, And then the next part of it takes us to Rand, in the real Rand, now not in the dream, where he is sleeping under his cloak. Cold and he wakes up and the fire's just about out and he sort of sticks the oak log a bit deeper into the fire and he realizes he's hearing horses and there's horses on the way and he gets himself up and ready and uh, 11 horses or a woman with a merchant pin, says, oh, you chose a good spot camper. Uh, I always camp beyond on my way to whatever village she's heading on to. And uh, would she mind if uh, they share the fire? And Rani no, not at all. And while she just gets herself ready and her men is already getting off the horses, he jumps up and does the thistle in the whirlwind. Thistle blows something in the whirlwind. (laughs) um, Jump and spins and a sword of fire is out and he decapitates her. Head rolling. And he then takes out all the men real quick. He uh, decides then to take her horse, get it ready. He gets on the horse and he channels that all the bodies kneel to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a fucked up shit. That's pretty morbid, eh? one more body there than who the party had arrived with. So I'm a little bit Torn by this one. Did Rand murder a merchant and a merchant <laughs> guard for real? It, it does seem that
2: way. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> that extra person was there the whole time. That's that's what I assume was a gray man because he never noticed him the first time when they so, arrived. Mm. So that extra person also is clutching a dagger.
3: Yes, mm. clutching so a so dagger.
0: That, that not person had already drawn a dagger when Rand went on his killing spree.
2: Mm. Yes. Now
3: that's let's talk about Rand's killing spree. Yes, oh, sorry, yes. Billy, have you done are you done with the chapter? No, that's pretty much as it ends. Rand in his insanity, murdering people, and uh he's now back on a horse. At least he's got a horse that he's gonna run to death now again. He's going for <laughs> He's He's got some dark
2: hound uh, bait for later on. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, let well this is my thing as well. Like obviously, he did the right thing. These people were going to kill him because then there was a gray man at the end. But if he didn't see the gray man, how did he know these people were there to kill him? Just that's just the way things are lately, you know, i maybe
0: not only that Jody, but he kills the woman first and he thinks she was the most
2: dangerous dangerous. Yes. Mm. How exactly? I was going to ask you how
3: I thought somebody here might have the answer. I, I don't do, know. but yeah, I'm absolutely like I was like, and I'm trying read over it again, and I was okay. Look for yeah. something. There must be something that indicates something off. But she was friendly. She came to the fire. She knew the spot. She knew where the spring was, where they can go and get water. It's like as if she really travels the road and often camps there. And immediately
2: Rand yeah. is like suspicious, and his plan is to murder them all. Yes, now, and he, uh, yeah, I don't know. How did he know? Without without noticing the grey man.
3: Yeah. yeah. Randers at this stage also tried to kill Perrin and actually burnt a penny onto um, his chest, penny-sized wound, which mm. Moraine also refused to heal in the set. Mm. said, no, no, this is a reminder for you of how dangerous it is. You can You can carry that one with you.
0: Okay, so let's take a step back, right? Like, we know that I mean, we know the whole story. We know Rand. We know that he's not just going to kill innocent people without a valid reason. What we are looking for is a clear signal from Robert Jordan that what Rand has done is justified. But what Robert Jordan wants to do at this point in the story is introduce the possibility of Rand going mad. So he is purposefully withholding that thing that you are naturally looking for. You're looking for the rationale explain to me, why did Rand kill all these people? Now he Mm. sort of hints at it towards the end that, you know, there was a gray man there. And I mean, Rand even, you know, acknowledges that he didn't know there was a gray man there. So it's still very, you know, murky about like what Rand's real justification was. I still don't understand why Rand thought the merchant herself was the most dangerous. If she wasn't a channeler, then how could she possibly be the most dangerous? Mm. Mm. Other than being in charge and having the command of all these men, so I don't know. Like I think it's a a um, purposeful ploy by Robert Jordan to make you think, "Fuck, did Rand did did he just kill an innocent person and all her retainers? Like, is that is that who we're dealing with?" Um, and look at it, you know, like it's <laughs> it's working. We've read the story multiple <laughs> times, and we're thinking, "Jesus, did Rand just kill these people?"
2: But so I think it's deliberate. Answer? We're going to have to read more and, and find out. I imagine the answer will come later on. He'll refer back to it and say, yeah, like that time when I noticed whatever he noticed to justify the murder of 12 people. I'll be surprised if it does. Honestly, I think we're supposed to start thinking, fuck,
0: is Rand really going nuts? Because he's always being described as like totally like haggard, you know, like when Egwene mm-hmm. sees him, he's attacking his friends. He attacked Egwene, who he used to love, mm-hmm. you know, or still does in some capacity. So, you know, Bearing. he is... Yeah, he attacked Perrin in this very same chapter. It's um, it's all like f- five minutes
2: before this. purposeful. <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I, and I think it is all to that end, right? To make no. Rand yeah. seem quite
3: unstable, <laughs> and it worked. Is is there any possibility that in this, that group of merchant guards and the merchant would not have been aware that there's a grey man in their party? No, they were all dark friends. I'm pretty sure they knew there was a gray man there.
2: So are we are we thinking that they are dark friends?
0: We know that there are loads of dark friends after Rand right now. Shamal addressed a bunch of them in the world of dreams. He killed one of the guys for failing to stop Matt. Like we, we know, I mean, this is also weird, right? Like when Rand is busy killing all those fades and people coming at him, some of the people Perrin saw in that sort of dream vision as well, when Rand is just firing stuff at them, uh, Perrin says his eyes just sort of slid off them. So there are gray men in that mix as well. I don't understand how the, Fades and the Grey Men and the Dark Friends are all sort of converging on Rand in Tel Arun Riyadh and he's killing them. I, I don't know what that is. Like, surely that wasn't everyone around him actually um, conscious of what they're doing and trying to attack him in Tel Arun Riyadh. I thought it was more of like a symbolic, there are so many people after him and these, this is like a, a dream representation of those people sort of circling in on him. But then Rand is attacking them outright. I don't know. It's all very confusing.
3: Hmm. Yeah, man, Rand is going a little bit nuts. But uh, I'm just going to gonna envision that they all were bad, dark friends and they deserve to have their heads sever- severed. <laughs> yeah.
0: What 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 makes this even murkier, is that we know that Rand in the future does kill innocent people by mistake, mm. you know, but he, he he is certainly not innocent. So, ugh, I don't know. Like, I, I like to yeah. think the whole thing about the the extra man, probably a gray man, right? Yes. Like that extra person. Yes.
3: Now, there's no doubt in my mind that there wasn't a gray man there. Yes. Um, and that's that's made pretty clear towards the end when he does the grim thing of moving their dead body's head or no head to kneel for him. Because that's what you'll do. You'll kneel for the dragon. It's all fucked yeah. up, eh? <laughs> it's pretty messed up. It is pretty fucking grim. It is. <laughs> let's not sugarcoat this. He, no. he got corpses to do a little dance and a bow to him. Yes. It's pretty macabre. And then he's like, oh, there's one extra corpse over here. How did I miss that one? And it's got a dagger draw. Extra servant. Hmm.
0: Anyway. But yeah, certainly a head scratcher. And like I said before, I think it is done with a reason. I think we are supposed to be questioning Rand's sanity here. And again, it worked. We are. I'm glad Perrin finally knows that the woman in white is Lanfear. Yes. That's uh... cluing in. Um, and he's able to relay that to Moraine now.
3: He's also getting a better understanding of the wolves, I suppose, now mm-hmm. in dream and uh, A little bit better. <laughs> yeah, a little bit better. And also happy that he's on the boat, not being able to reach out to them, going further and further away so he can get some sleep. Because Beefy Boy is a tired boy. That,
0: that comes later because right now he did just go into the wolf dream. Yeah, that's right. Belsamon mentions to Lanfear that uh, she pledged herself to the Dark One in the Hall of the Servants. Do you guys remember yeah. what the Hall of the Servants
2: was? Yes. So zero shits given. Like, uh,
3: no hiding about it. No. What? No, I missed that one. What's the Halls of the Servants?
0: It was like the, uh, like the seat of power of the Aes Sedai in the Age of Legends. It's like oh, in, okay. what was that city called, Job? Par, par Deeson or something like that, the greatest oh. city in the Age of Legends had this like headquarters, mm. this huge building with like vaulted ceilings and columns and stuff everywhere, and it was like the seat of power of the Aes Sedai. Um it's where the Amarlin seat Amarlin and the Tamerlin, mm. where they sat. And um yeah, that's where Lanfear swore fealty <laughs> to the to the dark one. Apparently Belal is the one that destroyed it. Belal's the one that destroys the Hall of the Servants. It's a nice
2: little tie-in with book three. Yo, I need to go on a history listen. Yeah.
0: Um, what else? I liked how Perrin described bars of white like hot steel coming from Rand's fists. Um so Rand is using his fists to channel Bellfire, which is a cool mm. visual mm. Uh, image. But also, I like that it is like Perrin would equate it to hot steel because he's a yep. blacksmith. It's one of those things, yes. like I mentioned in a previous book about who um, was the like, uh, from Bornhold. You know, like when when Robert Jordan writes from a person's point of view, like even the sort of turns of phrase and the and and the idioms and like metaphors and stuff they use are specific to that character whose point of view we're reading from, which is cool. Now that
3: is very cool. I do agree with that.
0: I also laugh that at least Moraine is dressed this time Perrin comes
2: into her room. <laughs> yeah, but he knocked. He made sure this time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no more barging into Aes Sedai rooms. Oh, she's just really pushing his luck
0: with Moraine in the stretch of chapters, eh? <laughs> oh. <laughs> but we'll get there. Mm. Lanphier's also not showing any or yeah, not any real deference to Shamile. So...
2: Shamal's not Nablus at this stage, is he? I don't think so. I think he turns up later when he's when he's Moradin already. I don't I know. Think <laughs> so too. Putting put a pin in that because I, I might be way <laughs> off.
0: <laughs> That's my understanding as well, Joe.
2: Yeah, like he only gets named Nablus then, like later on. Like, all right, yeah. now now we have to obey him but previously previous to that, all of this is just inviting.
3: Okay. Anything else? Not from my end. It was nope. just uh, a little bit distressing. Obviously, Rand doing murder, in my opinion, mm. but not. Yeah.
0: And for another peek behind the curtain, Jethro also asked me, did Rand just decapitate an innocent person <laughs> when he <laughs> read that chapter? <laughs> and I hadn't like we hadn't reached this part yet, and I went to go and read it and I went back to him and I said, No, 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 there's a gray man in there, he had his reasons. But yeah. what well, uh, his reasons as were we discussed uh, here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs>
3: Well, madness is a reason as well, I suppose. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, let's move on then to chapter thirty seven, which is called The Fires in Kyrian.
2: Jody, that's all you. <laughs> there's there's still a little pause before Kyrian, hey you every your, time. reset your brain <laughs> yeah <laughs> even when i write <laughs> it now i'm like I- f- oh shit yes
3: <laughs> i have to i have to remind myself every time of cairo and then i'm like okay cairo chi- re- <laughs> like, yeah okay, it'll That's take terrible? years
2: bro years to get that right I know. so anyway there we are we pick up with iguane uh, and neneve and elaine on a ship named after south africa's national bird the blue crane There you go, people. A little bit of info for you. Uh, The crane, not to be confused with the heron, Vili. That's your not, man. Mm -hmm. Definitely not. Cranes are much larger. Um, They shoot fireballs from their eyes, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're very different. (laughs) No, 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 no. No, They don't. Not the blue. No, no. They've they've got bombs under their wings. Oh shit! I'll go. Yeah, Wikipedia. Man, that place confused the shit out of me. Anyway, so they are. (laughs) They are sailing down the uh, river the River Eranen. They've just passed Kyrian and there's <laughs> just lots of <laughs> abandoned or burnt villages along the way. There's plumes of smoke coming up in the distance and they can see destroyed villages. So like shit is going down uh, in this fucked up country. Uh, everybody's fighting over the sun throne so no one's taking care of the people and there's just refugees everywhere and everything's gone to shit. How quickly
3: at that that all gone south, man. Like it's it felt feels like they were just in uh, the city not too long ago. Like in time of in terms of time span, what was it, six months? Yeah, it's a good couple of months. Yeah, yeah that's enough six time months, for things to But go I mean to shit. from from getting it all there and there was all people and they were having concerts and fireworks and it was just like a big party. Yeah, And now everything's burning and everyone's like crying and hanging on their mom's dresses. And it's just, just a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> hanging on their mom's dresses, yes. There's a lot of the little kids <laughs> hanging on to mom's
2: dresses. Um, <laughs> this is, I mean, when when Dina was murdered, that's well, as soon as uh, uh, Matt, oh Matt, Tom left, the grain silos were already on fire. Like it was instantaneous then. And that's months ago. So it's been pr- like a lo- enough time for things to deteriorate a lot. So that Absolutely. happened, like, immediately. All right. It's like news traveling on the, on the road to Lugard. Uh, it goes quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they don't, they
3: don't <laughs> let grass grow under their feet when they're in a rebellion, or do they? No,
2: <laughs> no. they are going to get these rebellions no. done with now. Um, <laughs> but they're convinced. The, the girls have convinced everyone on board that they are full Aes Sedai, despite their youthful faces. Uh, the rings are not enough, but it also helps that everyone on board it, on, the, on that ship was born in tar So they, even if they think something's off, they're not going to question it. They see the ring, and that's enough for them. They're not going to question it. So they've been using the, the Twisted Stone tangrail as well every night on their journey uh, on the ship without, you know, gaining much new knowledge. They don't really know a lot more than they did previously. There's no new more news about the Black Azure, Something about always going to the Stone of Tear. So, I mean, that's where they're going anyway. So nothing new there. But her dreams have been very enlightening, to us at least, the reader. To her, she's completely befuddled. But <laughs> I have a, a long list of things she's been dreaming about. So Rand holding a sword of light, so in Kalando, we know about that. Rand being threatened mm-hmm. from all sides, uh, we know about that. She's you know, attack, being attacked constantly um Perrin with a wolf a falcon and a hawk and the falcon and the hawk are fighting each other and we know later on that the first of Mayin and and uh, are not <laughs> very chummy they both want the same man mm-hmm. um there's one yeah that's parents stepping off willingly stepping off a cliff and saying I've got to learn to fly before I hit the bottom like just stepping off a cliff what is this referring to doesn't ring any bells to me listeners let me know I'm thinking maybe he's got to learn to just, you know, become a wolf or something. Like is, 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 is it's part of his journey to accepting his wolf maybe, or I don't know. Or the wolf dream itself,
0: like maybe yeah. like throwing himself into that. Because the wolf dream, as Hopper keeps telling him, is extremely dangerous, right? Yeah. And parent just, but he has to, out of necessity, has to
2: learn how to control it. Yeah. So maybe it's that. I don't know. But yeah, let us know in the... Uh... On Twitter or, or on Facebook or whatever, um, mm-hmm. uh, and Ayle and Perrin is involved again. So yes, we know about that. Uh, mm-hmm. Matt with dice all around him, but she already knows, well, she knows what that means, <laughs> like sort of, <laughs> but you, you don't she know the full extent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but She's on the right track. I mean, that's obvious. Matt uh-huh. being followed by a man who was not there. This is confirmation now again. If we gray needed man. any more that the grey man was in yeah. Tar Valon. Um, he's also riding desperately towards something unseen that he you know, has to get to, and that's them. Uh, he's trying to get to them, to help them. I don't know if I'm, because I've read this in the future now, or is this something we've covered?
3: Mm, what? Well, potentially something that will come up, I guess. I don't know if this is something I read
2: in the, in the chapters that I've gone ahead in now, that Matt's... Um, you know, looking, he's trying to save the girls. He knows he has to get after the girls. But I can't remember this is something we've yeah. talked about already. Not not in this, this stretch, no. It's not in this stretch. Oh, no, he's, okay. He's well, spoilers. Later. It's coming. Hey, so, spoiler cast. Yes. Um, he's also with an Illuminator coming up very soon. And we've already met yep. her. Um uh, men and women breaking out of cages and putting on crowns. So the Forsaken breaking free and taking a foothold in Tear and in illion and in oh, Camelin. No. I did yeah. not put that one together, Joe. Thanks. I put it, I put it together making my notes. <laughs> and I was like, as I was writing okay. it out, I was like, oh duh, obviously. Um, right, yes. Uh, strings on puppets on strings on puppets on strings on puppets into the distance. So, yeah, the machinations, I suppose, of all the dark friends and the and the game of houses being played by... And the Aes Sedai. Literally every and fucking person in the story is a puppet master. Everyone. Some description. Exactly. But they are themselves or the puppets for other masters who are themselves the puppets for other masters, yeah. etc. Um, kings dying. G-Man. Queens weeping. Morghese? Um, Morghese? Who is she Perhaps. weeping for? Is she the queen? Well, the people of of uh, Kyrhain. Uh, Kyrhain, you see? Kyrian. I suppose. Uh Uh, She's not in a good spot. Her daughter's missing. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know what's happening. So perhaps it's her. But I'm sure there's at this point in the story, plenty of queens that are crying. Also, I mean, these things are all prophetic, right? So like any time
0: in the future. And we know that Morghese is, you know, removed from the throne completely. So there's
2: plenty of cause for her to be weeping later. There's also battles raging. So there's kings dying, queens weeping and battles raging. Yeah, oh hum, par for the course. (laughs) Yes. Um, White cloaks ravaging the two rivers. So that's definitely coming. Mm -hmm. She dreams about the Sean Chan as well. So we're not done with them yet. Absolutely not. And she, of course, dreams of her mom and dad. And she just figures that's because she's homesick. She would much rather be at home than dealing with this cuck. So... (laughs) Nynaeve and Elaine have also tried the town grill but of course with not much luck they all just keep getting the same things you know they're in the heart of the stone or they're in tear or something but no news. So with all this time on the ship and no new info from Riot the, the hunt for the Black Aja is really freaking out really hitting home like she knows nothing and they're getting closer and closer and they're going to have to do something soon but she doesn't know what or who or where but she does know like after a bunch of thinking that it's going to have to do with the heart of the stone. To stop the Black Aja, they're going to have to get into the Stone of Tear, which <laughs> no one can. So, doesn't quite know how she's going to do that either. But, of course, they figure it out, I imagine. Um, that. Then later on, Egwene and Elaine are on the deck, and they're just talking about the war in, in Kyrian. And that's when it dawns on Egwene that the man following Matt, that, that he can't see, is a gray man. She says it out loud. And there's a kind of eureka, <laughs> yeah. eureka moment. And it freaks Elaine out that she just embraces the source immediately. And the sauce eyeballing, like, looking around, like, wait, <laughs> wait. Which, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Like, how quick she is now to embrace the source and be ready, you know. Like, they've come so yeah. far from just True. trying to figure it out and hold a ball of light. Now she's ready to kill Man, like, with at the drop of a, of a hat, you know. Um, yeah,
1: That's
2: cool. Yeah. But, unfortunately, this means that Egwene finally knows what one of her dreams mean about Matt but there's nothing she could do about it because she's on a boat in the middle of nowhere and she doesn't know anything <laughs> about Matt or where he is so kind of like a one step forward two steps back situation for her so just then mm-hmm. the ship hits uh, another sunken ship that's been submerged there by brigands and comes to a complete stop um, they try to move it but it's not possible the captain's trying to you know get his men to 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 get them off and get them going but it's going to take a while and Nynaeve is not stoked so she's like no we're, we're getting off and we're walking and the captain's like, no, 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 we can figure it out. And she's like, no, it's going to take too long. Listen, we're going to walk down to the next town, which is about two hours walking. If you're free by then, if you're freed the boat, come and pick us up. If not, we're going to find another boat because we we can't wait around. So anyway, they disembark and uh, and, and head on to the shore. So they're on foot now, and they're following the riverbank south. And, and green says, you know, like, I'm going to use the power. If there's brigands, you know, that have sunk that, well, have sunk that ship to try and stop us, I'm just using the... The power to to save our butts, and there's no Emmerlin here now to stop me or to say anything. Uh, and mm-hmm. just then, a figure in brown pops up from behind a bush, not a brigand, but it will let Moritz get into that. And and that's how the chapter ends.
0: <laughs> My final note for that chapter is: Brown and Grey, rejoice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't know if that's, uh, like, for us, but for the average person, having a brown and gray no. figure step out, that's not rejoicing. That's say your final <laughs> no. prayers, you know. But this this little scene has happened before.
0: Urien also sort of, like, popped up Just, out of nowhere yeah, wearing up, brown yeah. and gray.
3: If they pop out out of nowhere, they mean to ask you something. Yeah. yeah uh, if you if can, you can, see, can them see them, you're okay. <laughs> you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah. who it's only an email and uh, a eel man and I saw him. <laughs> yeah
0: in that one dream of awen, she says that um Rand is in danger from two people.
3: who? <sighs> well, Too maybe forsaken? it was the the um the gray man and the the lady on the horse.
0: They sort of like <laughs> they saw sort of, she's talking about Rand being sort of on a stone's board. Mm. and Being maneuvered around as part of a game, so I was wondering, maybe it's Shamile and Lanfear. That's what I'm thinking. Both trying to use him in their own
2: different ways. That seems the most logical mm. answer. Because mm. if they, I mean, that stone's board is um, is tactics, it's intelligence. It's not just yes. It's not just grey men man trying to stab you. Yeah, it's it's maneuvering. Yeah. That takes brains. So that makes me think Forsaken. Yeah.
3: Same. Have they brought stones into the game yet?
2: Yeah, into Into the the, story. Oh
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, Rand and loyal played it in uh, the one in yeah. Camelot. A lot of that. A lot of stones coming up in the next chapters as well.
2: (laughs) The little that the (laughs) game makes a resurgence. But there's a lot of tension between Egwene and Nynaeve as well on the ship that I didn't really go into here. But there's a lot like, and Elaine also mentions it, like if one of them says yes, the other says no. And she's getting pissed off with these two people um, because Nynaeve is... also getting pissed off with it.
3: Yeah, so getting a little bit petty now.
2: Yeah, and Egwene is like, look, we're not your kids anymore. We're on the same footing and trying to like, you know, put a foot down and, and make Nynaeve realize that, look, we're on the same level now and everything. But neither of them are having it.
0: I thought they'd worked this out, like they even had the conversation about it where Naive was like, "I guess I can't treat you like a young woman anymore or like a young girl anymore. We're all accepted now. I think I'm sure it was after they accepted test where they all sort of said out oh, like, yeah. okay, we're all basically on level pegging, oh, but Nynaeve It's is coming a little bit difficult go. to
3: naive, I think naive mm. because um yeah. it's it started down from how they' are spending the gold in terms of Yguin already had this nice little silk number in her mind. That she wears mm-hmm. when she's in the world of dreams, and she's like, "Nah, wool, nice yeah. woolen skirt. Divided for riding, can go a long way." And we need money going forward, so she yeah. she really is mothering them to the.
0: She is, and I mean, do-do. she is also taking the lead most of the time. Mm. She's the one making the decisions, and Iguane <laughs> and Elaine are just sort of like going, uh, "Okay, I guess it's not worth the effort trying to argue with her."
3: Well, that's not a grain is thinking, <laughs> but it's it is frustrating this little um, power struggle that they have.
1: Mm.
0: Maybe maybe it is only frustrating to us as re-readers, knowing like how their arcs go. Like mm. this is so inconsequential. I,
3: I don't want to bother reading about this nonsense. True. Maybe that is it. Like stop this pettiness and get on to your greatness. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And I mean, Nynaeve does very soon. Oh, yes. Um,
0: so good. Um, did you guys, I don't know how to read this, and I don't know what the point of it was. I don't know if it was to highlight Elaine's compassion or to sort of show how Egwene is maybe already starting to behave and feel like an Aes Sedai when she's sort of, uh, she's not, she can't do anything about the people in Kyrian about mm. the fires or anything like that. So she's not worried about it. She's focused on her goal above all else. You know, she knows what they have to do and it's not it, it doesn't involve the, you know, the the downtrodden in Kyrie and she doesn't have time or the capability to help them, so she's not even focused on it. Where Elaine is much more empathetic and um, you know sort of chastises Gwaine for for not caring enough.
3: Yeah, she had a little inner dialogue and then she explained herself quite harshly. Yeah, um, almost in a more moirene type of tone. That's sort of what it made me think of, which is why I thought
0: maybe it's her sort of starting to exhibit even more Sedai qualities, right? Like almost cold, hard, focused on a goal, uh, where Elaine mm. is still a lot more caring, sort of also taking on the role of a of a monarch.
3: Yes, uh, Elaine mm. would
0: you know, as the queen of Andor, she would have to care about her people just like her mother does and even the people of other countries, you know, as she alludes to later when they talk about how Andor is taking in Kyrenian uh, refugees and that sort of stuff. So it, it's actually, it, it makes Egwene seem like a bit of a bitch and uh, actually really endears uh, me to Elaine
2: even more. Yeah, you're right. I think that's that's exactly where I see it. It's Egwene, like... Uh, Kind of like the seeing to the future of their the, the future roles, like Egwene going to be the mm. the Emerald and she has to be dispassionate, and she has to focus on certain goals. And Elaine's going to be a queen, so she needs to care about her people. So these are definitely character traits
3: of them surfacing right yeah. now. So
2: yeah, I, I agree with you.
3: Yeah, I I just don't know about. I think um, Egwene is Egwene is really um, focused on what. Is driving her and her purpose at this moment. And she doesn't want to allow her head to even go that way. I don't think she's being a bitch. No, I mean I was being overly dramatic for comedic purposes, but <laughs> she's she's being hard and dispassionate, yeah. like Joe said. She's being rational and logical.
1: Hmm.
0: Maybe
3: she should be a white.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: Okay, should we move on to chapter thirty eight? Please do that. We can do. Ooh, maidens (laughs) of the spear. Yes, (laughs) give me that Aiel lore. Give me that Aiel. (laughs) So as this figure rises from the bush, uh, Egwene and Elaine embrace Zydar instinctively. Also cool, like you said, Joe, that they can just do that. But Nynaeve just mm-hmm. folds her arms with a firm expression on her
1: face. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, Probably Nanith. both because she is incapable of embracing Sondara immediately, but that is what she would have done anyway. Like that is just yes. her default pose. Uh, Iguane notices that the person is a young woman about her own age and Elaine releases the source, but Egwene is still carrying uh, the scars of being a demand. So she she keeps her connection to the true power going. She's unwilling to release the power. The true power? The true power? Release the power. The one power. Um, The woman is taller than Egwene with blue-green eyes and reddish hair cut short apart from sort of like a rat tail hanging down to her shoulders like a thin strip of hair. I'm only going into this description because it is a fan favorite and one of my Mm. favorite characters, Avienda. Yeah. I'm not going to... I'm not going to hold back from from naming her yet. No. But she's wearing, obviously, the, the the Cadence Saw, and Egwene recognizes her for the eye that she is. Egwene mentions that she immediately, f- or she thinks that she immediately feels some kind of affinity for the woman and immediately realizes that it is because she could be Rand's cousin. That's sort of like... Um, rationale and description sort of crops up every now and then. Whenever they talk about Aeel, it's like they could be Ran's aunt or they could Mm. be Ran's cousin. Okay, we get it. Ran's (laughs) Aeel. So the woman introduces herself as Avienda of the Nine Valleys Sept of the Tardar Aeel. And she's a maiden of the spear, Far Mai. Avienda says that while the girls don't have the Aegis look she and her compatriots didn't notice the rings and she asks if uh, if they are women of the white tower equating aesadai with their own aiel wise ones naineev says immediately yes they are which is not a lie but not that she's bound by the oaths or anything but i like Mm. it when naineev plays by the rules but naineev also says that whether you would consider us as wise is another matter Mm. Uh, what do you want of us and Avienda seems satisfied with this response saying that Nynaeve talks like a wise one, straight to the <laughs> yeah. point, with no suffering of fools. Which is cool, because Nynaeve is the one that sort of takes the lead in all these interactions, and uh, and she is definitely behaving like a wise one.
3: Well, she is a wisdom still in the past, so... Mm, wisdom, true, wise one?
0: That's true. So, Avienda asks her uh, for help with a friend of theirs that is gravely wounded, and Nynaeve can't say no to that like you know we all know Nynaeve is born to help those who are sick and disenfranchised so she immediately agrees to do what she can but she promises that she or she can't promise that she'll be able to save her from death Uh, but Avienda seems unfazed by death already so then at that moment two more women rise out of the grass like not 10 paces away from them and uh, one of them hands Avienda her weapons which is a long knife a bow, a quiver of arrows, four spears, and a small buckler. <laughs> You're like <laughs> she's traveling light. She, <laughs> she she's back in heat. <laughs> she's um, back for running. <laughs> yeah. But I um I missed the blue crane reference earlier, Joe, to South Africa. But one thing I do know, or at least I mean I say no. This is something I read some time ago, so I haven't even gone back to sort of fact-check myself, but I'm pretty sure mm. that Robert Jordan. Uh, used the azagai as an inspiration mm. for the short spears that the that the Aiel fight with, yeah. which is, for our listeners that don't know, the traditional weapon of the Zulu, who are indigenous to South Africa. Um, and they also they fight with hide bucklers. They're not round, but they have sort of hide shields as well. Mm. So that's another cool reference. And I think later in the story, like someone, I think with the, with the Aiel, they wake up and they eat dried meat, which I'm convinced is also built on. Totally. <laughs> So lots of uh, parallels between the Aiel and South Africa. So maybe that's why I have such a strong affinity for them.
3: <laughs> well, that tracks.
0: So the the maidens lead them away, and Egwene finally lets go of the source. Um, Elaine sort of tries to break the tension and introduces herself as you know Elaine, daughter heir of the throne, throne of Andor. Much to you know Egwene's surprise. Uh, and the two other maidens introduce themselves as bane and Chiad. yeah fan favorites yes they're going to be in the story for a long time yet and i think we've even speculated about this in the previous episode but don't they marry gaul like they give him shit the whole story and then towards the <laughs> yes. end one of them marries him and they become
3: sister wives and all that sort of stuff mm, all of that yeah bane and Chiad is already first sisters aren't they they are first sisters, yes. Mm. They
0: spoke the words in front of their wise ones. They yes. go into all this detail, which I'm not going to delve into, but they go into all the detail about how you become first sisters and what that means. Because uh, traditionally, first sisters are actual sisters. They sisters, share the same yes. mothers. Second sisters, you know, their mothers are sisters and so on and so forth. Um. So Egwene feels like she should introduce herself as well, and she does. And when she does, the I'll ask if they are first sisters, Um, so Egwene thinks that they mean like I said I sisters and she answers yes just as Elaine answers no at the same Mm. time and then Elaine you know like as she does continuously throughout this interaction is sort of just smoothing things over and translating in both directions uh, with what little knowledge she has of the Ail from her royal upbringing Uh, she explains to um, Egwene that first sisters share a mom like we just said and then Bain and Chai had explained that they spoke the words before their wise ones and became first sisters because they chose to uh, always have each other's backs, despite the fact that their clans have like a blood feud. I say, yeah, my notes, cue Aiel lore explanation, which I will now not do. I will gloss <laughs> right over that.
2: <laughs> Fuck the notes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Screw you notes. I, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Um, They they do talk a little bit about being a maiden of the spear and the the reasons why some maidens might give up the spear. Uh, And one of them is, you know, to become a wise one. And they sort of make a a sidelong comment about though some fight it, which is, I think, pretty obviously a reference to Avienda. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of references sprinkled throughout these, these interactions that we who know that Avienda can channel and that, you know, the, the wise ones who read about most, you know, Amis and Soralia and Mil- is it Melaine? They, they are very keen for Avienda to, to leave the spear and to become a wise one.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, so there's a couple of references to that throughout this section. Egwene lies and says, oh, okay, cool. That's quite clear to her now. She understands. So as uh, Egwene and Elaine sort of try and fumble around, trying to understand what, you know, the, the Aiel customs mean and how they could be applied. So like as the Aiel are trying to sort of apply their own thinking and their own customs to Elaine and Gwen's situation and they're trying to explain their way out of it, they all seem kind of on the same page, but no one is fully understanding what the other party is really intending or, or saying. But they eventually reach their destination and they find two more Aiel women, uh, Jolien and Dalen. Dylan? Dalen, What did you guys think? I was going Dalin. Dalen it is. Daylin it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh, but Dalen is looking in dire straits. She's the one that is gravely injured. Avienda explains that she, quote unquote, took a sword, uh, and that they moved her here so that she could dine near the water. And this immediately agitates Nynaeve. like, you shouldn't have moved her. This could have killed her, blah, blah, blah. But Nynaeve obviously doesn't understand the significance of the water to the Ayil uh, But all of this is just a device to get Nynaeve's blood boiling, right? As we will see continuously as this interaction continues. Um, Nynaeve sends Bain and tried to go fetch some water as Naive starts rummaging through her pack for her herbs and stuff. Avienda comments on her use of herbs and how uh, she knows that the wise ones use those, but she didn't think that the Aes Sedai used them and that just makes naive angrier. She just goes, I, I, I use what I use, you know, again, <laughs> making the, the maidens think that she is acting exactly like a wise one. So Egwene, again, tries to soothe the Aiel by talking about the apprehension of the water, uh, much to Elaine's annoyance, like Elaine shoots her a glance, like, what are you doing? Don't talk to them about the water. So, um, but the Aiel go ahead, and they explain that there, there is no real body of water in, in the waste. Um, and that the Stones River Sept that I think Chayad, uh introduced herself from is not actually a river, it is just the stones, and that there is, you know, legend that a river used to flow there. So the Stones River is just a river of stone. There's no water in it. Egwene realizes that she didn't do anything to soothe the Ail, and uh, Elaine's look at her confirms as much. So Egwene figures that if the Aiel try anything, she'll just wrap them up in flows of air. And this is when she embraces the source again in preparation to do that. And as she embraces the source, Avienda abruptly just states, I would never hurt an Aes Sedai or I would never attack an Aes Sedai. And this is obviously because Avienda can channel herself and saw that Egwene has embraced the source. Elaine, ever the diplomat, she tries to smooth things over again, but has limited success. Uh, there's just loads of misunderstanding between Egwene I- and even Elaine and the, the Aiel woman. And Nynaeve then starts giving Dalen a concoction that she's made with her herbs and the water that ben and Chai had brought, while Avienda goes on to explain that the Aiel would never attack an Aes Sedai. They know as legend that before the breaking the Aeel served the Aes Sedai and that they failed in that service. Uh, it was for that sin that they were sent to the threefold land, which is what they call the Aeel Waste, and that nobody remembers what that sin was, except maybe the wise ones and the clan chiefs, uh, which we know that they yeah. do, it's all that stuff they learn about the history of the Jen Aeel and all that stuff in Ruudian. It is said that if they fail the Aes Sedai again, they will destroy the Aeel. Now, is that something that actually happens? Because I can't imagine the Aeel actually failing the Aes Sedai again in the story that we know, right? Like there's there's no, I mean, Rand destroys the Aeel, quote unquote, by, you know, exposing that history and stuff. But I don't, this this eventuality never comes about, does it? Where the Aeel fail the Aes Sedai and the Aes Sedai destroy them.
3: No, not that I can remember, but what, what do I know?
2: Yeah, I'm on the same page as Vili there. Like, don't trust what I have to say on this. <laughs> noted
1: <laughs>
0: and while Avienda's talking in the background Nynaeve is muttering angrily Elaine again soothes Avienda by saying they won't destroy the Aiel but Avienda says that the Aiel must never fight the if you, even if you bring lightnings and balefire against me I will dance with them but I will not harm you and again in the background Nynaeve mutters angrily about stabbing women she's obviously worked up we can all see where this is going right Nynaeve getting angry means she's going to channel uh, but that's all happening in the backgrounds. And Egwene latches onto what Aviander said about Balefire. And she asks Aviander what it is. So Avianda mean, doesn't know exactly, uh, only that it is fearsome. And Egwene remembers that she knew what it was in her accepted test. She refers to that dream or whatever it was. Because remember, she, she was in Camelin after Balefire had destroyed the city. And she finds Rand and he asks her to stab him in the chest. Mm. Is that where she knew it was balefire or was it in the next one?
3: No, it's that, and there was balefire in um, the notes of Corian um, and uh, yes. that, that, that they're Ungriel. So it's a couple of times that the word balefire has not popped up.
0: Yeah, but Egwene is thinking back to specifically that dream or whatever it was, which is her accepted test where she knew in that dream what Balefire was. So Nynaeve, in the meantime, has worked herself up into an indignant fury and the Aeol are actually starting to look worried. Uh, Egwene realizes what's happening as the glow of Sidar envelops Nynaeve and Dalen starts up with a scream. But immediately afterwards, Nynaeve sort of eases her down again and the glow fades. Uh, And Egwene thinks, she thinks to herself that she saw what Nynaeve did, but it was so complex, she didn't know if she actually saw all of it. And the quote is, what Nynaeve had done in those few seconds had seemed like weaving four carpets at once while blindfolded. Yeah, she's already on it, eh? That is just... It's so cool. Nynaeve, like, just... Angry and desperate to help this person just weaves this
3: incredibly complex healing weave, which is awesome. Can't they hear the bones like crackling and the skin like going into place? (laughs) (laughs) I
0: don't know. I don't remember that specifically. But um, the wound is gone and Nynaeve sort of just orders them to clean her up, uh, get her warm and prepare for Dalen to be very hungry. Uh, and then sits about washing her hands like nothing miraculous has just happened. She's just done this, like, incredible thing and uh, just starts bossing people around and then acting as if it's no big deal. Love her. Yeah. Back to business. And that's how the chapter ends.
3: It's amazing. That bit, uh, I love that. That was the yeah. standout of this chapter for me is just naive working herself up and who stabs woman? and yeah. carry and, like <laughs> just working herself up to the point in the next minute she's like all right here we go boom and then in five seconds just heals the woman
0: it's it's cool there's like two things happening there's this awesome like law dump coming from the aiel where you're learning all about their customs and their weirdness and how different they are and it's it's actually a third thing is happening, which is showing like the misunderstanding between the wetlanders and the Aeel, how they are just so culturally different that they, they cannot reconcile each other's customs. And then the the last thing that's happening in the background while all this is happening is it's giving Nynaeve space to sort of just get worked up. And every now and then you hear her muttering angrily and she's getting angry and angry and angry until it's almost like she catches on fire, right? Like the glow of <laughs> yeah. Sidar just whoosh, springs up around her. And then she just lays down this incredible weave like weaving four carpets at the same time while blindfolded, amazing. So, did you guys have anything else from that chapter? I mean, there's there's not there's not a lot happening below the surface there, except for like you know introducing major characters. Avia,
3: yeah, man, Bane this is a big Chaiad. one. This is like yeah. great characters coming into the story. I love
2: it. Yeah, it's amazing. I think we've pretty much covered everything there.
0: Cool. Well, then let's forge ahead to chapter 39, Threads in the Pattern. Vili, please do us the honor of leading us through this fantastic chapter.
3: Ooh, strap in. This is a big one. Are you ready for it? I'm so ready. Nynaeve now already upset that they still haven't, while they're trying to touch um, the healed wounds that uh, she had just... Uh, Performed and like, hey, didn't I tell you to get moving? Get a food. Get a dress. Get a clean, and uh, we have to move on. She's clearly just back in that uh, taking charge mode of hers, and she's going to move on. And this is where the uh, Aiel girls then start sort of just a little bit of questioning. Sort of, okay, well, we are here um, to look for he who comes with the dawn, and I mean, part of that is we've got to kind of look for for anomalies around us. And three eyes Sedai walking in a, <laughs> a country where it's a full-out war is something that's out of place. Like, what exactly is happening here? And uh, she's just like, we've got our quest. We've got to do what we've got to do. Um, but we're going to the Stone of Tia. Uh That's that's where we're going. And uh, if we stand here any longer, the, there might be no stone left in there. And uh they then start moving off. Um and they uh obviously the, the good old greetings of my water is your water uh that Avienda leaves them with and the girls uh get moving uh, still staying clear of trees now. They're even more staying clear of trees now going down the river. And too little too late they spot a few men that jump out of a a cropping of trees and lights out. The girls get, uh, what we learned in later, uh, slingshot some stones into their skulls and yeah, that's it. Pretty rough. It's pretty gruesome, I mean, as we'll, we'll hear a little bit later. So mm. uh, the first of the three that sort of come by out of that uh, stone to the head is Egwene, and she's sort of like just completely like diermacar, not uh, <laughs> they are dropped. Translate uh, <laughs> that she's completely confused as one would mm. be after being battered to the head, and she is. Um, trying to make out, but there's, there's at least a hundred men. They're on the back of a horse. Um, she makes out a building, sort of a, a crudely built building with rough stone logs, and um, someone notices that she had woken up and like, oh no, there's commotion, and yet again another blow to the head, and she's out. She again wakens, and the first of the three to awaken inside a holding room or cell, whatever you want to call it, inside that what is assumed to be that little stone and slash stone slash wooden hut. And she sort of, okay, she's got a bitter taste in her mouth and like a herby taste and of old wine or sour wine. and But her headache's feeling better. Like, strangely, after copying a second blow to the head, she's realizes that and she thought, okay, maybe I should see if I can channel, but she, to uh, enlighten, she sees that uh, Nynaeve and Elaine are still there, and both of them are breathing. And she says, okay, cool, before I get to them, let me just see what we're facing, what we are dealing, and she sort of peers through the cracks in the door and sees, okay, there's there's a couple of men there, and there's a couple outside, okay, let's, let's get to Nynaeve. And she wakes Nynaeve up, and before she can sort of gasp and make a noise she puts her hand over sort of be quiet what do you remember and immediately she's like already aware like what what herbs did they give me and she's like sleep well root and she questions uh, Gwen uh she remembers what that does from her training and she's like yeah it it helps you to clear your headache and sleep well <laughs> yeah yeah. the worst it's thing like, you could have given them. <laughs> the, 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 they obviously didn't. So they make the comment like that guy was obviously not listening to his granny when when they spoke, and the wine was just as bad. And um, they're like, okay, but obviously, naive is on fire now. She wants to get going. She um, goes over to Elaine, and Elaine is not in a good shape. Her, her skull is smashed, so she's like, she's she's worse off than uh, Dylan was when she got to her back then, this is really not good. And Igraine actually realizes the seriousness of the situation. And she comes close by and sort of holds up her head to try and just see what they, they can do. And immediately, Nynaeve starts channeling with such, um almost want to say emotion, because it looked like she was going to mm. cry. And so much so that a uh, grind being in the vicinity gets swept up into this healing and th- that she even gets healed by the the mass of healing power that's going down just it, i think it's cuz she's touching elaine is it touching or close by i wasn't too sure i was i was just taking it that it's kind of that she was so close by and being there and well, maybe Maybe Nynaeve's not doing it, but, it perfectly yet, but it could be very well because she's touching yeah. her, I suppose. And uh, yeah, uh, as as she then starts channeling, uh, Elaine sort of opens her eyes and opens her mouth. And again, they get her to hush. And do you remember that is all done? And they're like, okay, cool. Well, everyone's okay now. And even Iguana's headache is gone. So let's get ourselves out of here. Let's see what we are faced with. And in the meantime, in the background, this, this brigands have been having a discussion about the three Aes Sedai. And no, they're definitely Aes Sedai. They've got the rings on the table, including Lance's ring that came off uh, mm-hmm. Naniv's neck. And they are, if you have got the stomach for this, you sell them to the right person. But it takes a real, real guy with a real tough stomach to be able to deal with the type of people that will buy an Aes and uh, do this now. And this is one of the things that bother me about this chapter. Is the three people have now come in, or persons that we're gonna are gonna buy them, and they are three madrol. Mm-hmm. And Iguane is too scared to channel a trickle to to feel if she can get the locks undone with a, a special or affinity that she has. Mm-hmm. how did they not feel the, the healing happening? Well, they weren't there yet. It's literally seconds after the healing that they pf through the crack. It is not even spaced, and I went back to that. It's not even spaced mm. out by like a few lines. It's not like they were, okay, cool, we got an hour. Let's sit back over here and think about it. It's right there, and then there, there are the three True. Madral, and they scared to open the lock and as soon as Egwene does that now going forward she's like "All right, this is it we're going to do it now and she channels and the chain and the lock drops to the floor and at that moment Madral's like are you sure it's are they sleeping human and they're like yeah no they they out and the other one lifts his head and the locks drop to the floor but at the same time the front door get kicked in so that's why I say like right there and then they were inside there in my opinion, and how did they not know of the healing? I mean, they would. Nine Eve was channeling a huge amount. Do we know that she was
2: channeling a huge amount? Well, regardless, I think even when Egwene channeled that little bit to open the lock, they felt it. So they would have felt mm. any kind of channeling. But I also any, just assumed any. that they weren't there. Yeah, then. they should. They have. weren't
3: there. But okay, let's. Let's go back. They would have been close. To all of the the villages. All of the villages they ran through with Moraine. She said, if I just channel the the least amount, they will feel it. They'll know we're there. If they are in the vicinity. So even if they were a kilometer away, they should have felt it at that sort of healing Um, amount. I mean...
0: I I hear what you're saying, and I think I agree with your interpretation of that, but I don't think you can take that as a rule. Like, Moraine could just be being extra cautious, right? Like, Moraine doesn't state a fade can sense channeling within a kilometer's radius if I channel this much. Like, I think she's just being cautious. But I also think that your point is valid. Mm. Like, even if the Medral weren't in the room or in that hut when Nynaeve was doing the channeling, they would have been fairly close i mean they would have certainly been inside the palisades mm. so you know because like you said they, they do walk in soon after that
2: yeah it's my recollection anyway i have i have a possible theory that could explain this and that is that oh, please do that um fades can travel in shadows so that they could walk into a shadow in Camelin and come out of a shadow in Kyrian, you know Uh, I don't know Mm -hmm. how that exactly works. So just because they were there five seconds later doesn't mean that five seconds ago they were outside the tent. They could have been miles away and they just appeared through the shadows. Mm -hmm. You know, they travel in the shadows. So I don't know. That's just something that that came to me right now. I don't know how that works, what the mechanics of that are precisely, but I do remember that as, as a way for them to move around. So they could have been miles away, not felt the channeling for the healing, used the shadows and come out into the tent and then felt that little bit of trickle when she opened the lock. Just a thought. No, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I sense a callback. Mm. <laughs> no, I don't you know. Don't have to sense it, it's pretty, it's pretty in your face, this callback.
0: <laughs>
3: oh, you mean I'm close enough to to sense it? Yes, you've sensed it already. That's you you're you're sensing correctly. I mean, if it Nynaeve channeled a huge amount because it, the words exactly are um it was like peeling off my own skin doing it this way. Like, because she was she was getting like worked up because she didn't have her herbs. And she wanted herbs, and they took my herbs, and getting angry, angry, and then she did some some crazy weave to, to fix her skull. Look,
0: I I don't want to be – I'm not defending this, but again, there is wiggle room there in that I thought it was noteworthy that um, Nynaeve said doing it this way, implying that she did a type of healing that maybe she's not used to doing, and – I don't know that that necessarily means really that the quantity of power that she used was high. You know, she did something different, Different okay. something intricate, but not necessarily like she's not cleaning Sidin here, Yeah. Right. Like she's, she's healing a head wound, okay. but she did note that, she, that it was a different way of doing it. And that it was, I thought maybe that was because, um, Egwene was touching her and that she healed Elaine and then sort of, Igwein,
3: as well, maybe got and pulled that, into the mix there because she, yeah, like there's some kind of resonance
0: process. or something
3: coming back. I don't know. Okay, well then let's say that uh, the half man had really just entered the door minutes after, or seconds, or stepped out of the shadow, like Jody pointed out. Um, but yes, Igwein channeled a little flow. The lock drops to the floor. The half man turns to the door. And the front door gets kicked open and all things turn to shit in a second. <laughs> uh, so much so, I'd like to read this small little passage. Please do. Please do. <laughs> the room erupted in screams and shouts as men clawed for their swords to fight stabbing ail spears. The Madral drew blades blacker than the garb that they and fought uh, for their lives too. Green had seen six cats in an alley, uh, six cats <laughs> all fighting each other, and this was a hundredfold, and yet in seconds silence reigned, or almost silence. How great Yo. is that? Seconds.
0: What is what is the what is the line just before that? Because I think when the door kicks open, the next line is
3: "and black veiled death rolled in the door." Or something <laughs> yeah. Like. yeah, yeah. The the chain fell on the floor. Madral staring and snarled. And the outer door swung open, black veil death flowing from the night. <laughs> oh, <there laughs> like is. that
0: is cool imagery, <laughs> black veil death and just the word flowing, you know, like they are graceful and deadly. And they come in here and they destroy everyone except the fades. And the main brigand
3: is like pinned to the wall with a spear. Yes. But now, have you guys ever seen cats fighting? yes of course, yes it's it's a sight to behold because it's sounds terrible, but these things can yes. move and do things that you don't normally think an animal should be doing with their bodies, like contorting and jumping and just going through spaces it's so that is yeah. a a very apt six cats fighting <laughs> it is, oh man, God damn I love stuff. that that's goosebumps stuff, and uh well, yeah. In in matter of seconds, the ail that are veiled had come in and killed all the men, and the three half men or Madral are back to back in the center of the room, and the ail starts baiting them, like, "Come on, what are you gonna do, Shadow Man? Ready to dance with me, dance Shadow with Man? Me, half come man. dance. Or what do they call them? Shadow, yeah, man. Shadow man. Sugar Man, Shadow Man." <laughs> And yeah, they're going to dance okay. with the shadow man. And that is at the point where Neneve said, it's time. And the door gets mm-hmm. kicked open now by the woman and they step out. And immediately, Egwene grabs, hold a fire weave and the flames are just bursting out of them. But at the same time, Elaine is there and she, I think, grabs air and starts compressing the, the three of the uh, half men into a ball, like in the sky in front of them. So you've got the one burning them from the inside. You've got Elaine pushing them into a ball, which I assume is sort of now becoming the size of a basketball in the middle of the room. And then Naineev's saying, well, I'm going to show you some shit. I want to destroy that. <laughs> and she erases them from existence with a white bar of power from her hands that is l- – it makes the midday sun pale in comparison, and she bails yeah. fire them out of existence. And uh, that's where the Eguane is like, Whoa, that was bale fire! Mm. She puts two and two together, she puts two and two together, and she's like, Wow, this is this is pretty big. So, uh, and Elaine was asked, like, w- What was that? When Nanif's shaking her head, she looks like stunned, and they're like, I don't know. I was angry, I was afraid, and I wanted to, I just wanted to do it. So, beautiful. <laughs> That's great. Nynaeve <Nine> just <laughs> going to just, town in these chapters, hey? Just channeling like a bloody she mad She healed two people from certain death and bale-fired three medral. In I know, I mean, 90s Balefire of
0: sort of, like, overshadows everyone else, but, I mean, I also love Egwene, like, making fire erupt from within all three Madral at the same, same time. time, right? So, she's, <laughs> she's doing multiple weaves at the same time, and then... Elaine's move is also inspired. Like I imagine the ball sort of being the size of three half men, but like crushing them together and like bending them in ways that their bodies are not supposed to bend and then crushing in further and further and further. Like you said, to like the size of like a basketball or something. And then the Balefire hitting them. Like these three girls just annihilate these half men. <laughs> it's teamwork it's, for you, man. Oh
3: man. It's beautiful. Yo, it's, it's k- 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 combo. <laughs> Combo meter was all the way up. Oh, oh, man. Special move. Boom. Sure. But yes, uh, at that stage, the Aiel now in the room have dropped their veil. Unfortunately, some of them were slain at that point in time. And very, very disappointingly to of it is Dylan that she had just healed not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, that got slain. And uh, Avinda was there again. And they sort of had the exchange like, wide. So like, well, we followed you. Because we still believe there's something that you're going to show us, and but we were too far to help you when you got attacked, so we decided to sort of gather some of the others that were around, and we get introduced to some more uh, uh, good old characters of the books, a graying man mm-hmm. called Rurak. <laughs> <laughs> what is Rurak. he called? I tried and it's Rurak is it? Rurak. Yeah, yes. Rurak. There we go. <laughs> rock. <laughs> he's a Klingon. Rock. He's not a Klingon. <laughs> and, uh, I love Rock. The, the, the old courtesies go around, and he's got a he's got an interesting backstory. Now, he is a Sep chief, isn't he? A clan chief. clan chief. And uh, he's married to three women. Is he? Sort of what have I, from this little introduction. I think he's married to only a miss. No, he's got a wise one. Yes, Amis is a wise one. Uh, I mean, the a great joke. I've heard about that. <laughs> Muzak. She talks about being caught between
0: your wife mm. and some wise ones. And then uh-huh. when your wife is a wise
3: one, it's even worse. Uh, oh, right. Okay, so that makes a bit more sense there. I think. I think. I mean. Oh, it could be wrong. You could put a pin. You, you could put a pin in that. I could. <laughs> you could. I don't remember Ruach's exact
0: marital <laughs> status, but he, I know for a fact he is definitely
3: married to at least Amis. Yes, well, now they uh, then get more into pleasantries. They clear the room of all the dead. Um, there's no withdrawal to be cleared because they have <laughs> evaporated in out of existence. This <laughs> is the the beauty of Balefire. fire. Um, yeah, and they uh, just just uh, start. No- Obviously, Eorok mentions the when they grab their rings, the Sedai rings back. He was like, "Whoa, what?" what is that other ring? Because uh, uh, he only knows of one person that carries a ring like that and that's the uh, Malkiri king. Um, mm-hmm. And sort of, even Lan is known by the ail Oh, yes. So, uh, it's pretty much the end of the chapter. I can't remember if there's anything else that happened there. They were then going to move on and they were escorted in the morning um, by the Aiel. So, the girl's got them each a horse so they're back on horseback and the next day they start riding with the horses uh, to the next town where they will catch a boat whether it is the same one they were on or another one but uh, they sort of worried that taking the horses too fast because these are ill on foot and this is where Avinda and <laughs> they start joking around like I'll outrun your horse for 10 miles and Ruck is like that no. 10 miles, I'll do it for 20 miles, not a problem. Mm Do you want to see? Go for it. And yeah, just uh, getting them into the the reality of how these are, you can move on their feet. Mm. And there's even, I think... Yeah. yeah. we're all gonna say the same thing. <laughs> are, are we? When they when
2: they separate, and it looks like the AEL yeah. were just really waiting for the horses to f- like leave them so they could run faster. Faster. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh fuck, finally we left these wetlanders behind. Let's speed it up now,
3: guys. Yeah. So yeah, they uh they make it to Jurin. Jureen. And they they see there's a boat sort of just docked there or for a brief moment called the Data. And they get mm. on, and the captain is like, Well, you're just, just as lucky because we only stopped you because the meat has gone rotten. And uh, they asked around the blue crane, and they're like, Yeah, no, they saw the blue crane, still upriver, still stuck. And um, yep, they buy passage and double for the horses, and they are back on a slower boat. A slower boat? Yes. The a dart? darter. <laughs> it was a bigger boat and slower. Yeah, it's got a bluff yeah. bow and square sails. Mm and it's and that's what happens to fast boats, the captain said. They yeah, get no, themselves stuck. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, and that's that's where it leaves the that chapter. Off the girls have had their little couple of mile run on land, did some magic, kill some people, and <laughs> just moving on. Another day in life of nice and Or one of you. Yeah, er- Erase some
2: fades from existence, and you know. Uh-huh bring some people back from the brink of death, you know, all in a day's work. When um, the, after
0: uh, Nynaeve had healed uh, Dalen, before they move on, uh, the maidens call Nynaeve wise one, which is sort of like, what are, What are you doing? I told you to do this stuff. They say, oh yes, at once wise one, <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> which is cool. Yeah. Oh, they, they're they already used to dealing with people like Asadai. Yeah. The wise ones are I mean even worse than Aes Sedai, right? Like they are. They command even more respect, I feel like. But that could be because of my pro IEL bias.
2: Yes,
3: for your bias, yes. Yes. Also remember that
2: every <laughs> every clan has its own wise ones. So you know, wise ones are way more common amongst the common people than than Aes Sedai are. Like only rulers really rub shoulders with Aes Sedai, so mm. that's
0: true. I like the Aiel, and I like the maidens. And there is this story that they tell <laughs> Do when asks. <laughs> there is a story they tell when Gwen asks them about, like you know, if you guys are so scared of water, how are you getting over all these rivers? And they say, "Well, you guys also have these things called bridges, uh, but where there are no bridges, they they found like fallen trees and then lashed them together and then made." rafts and like crossed rivers on boats you know like that what they call them small ships
1: <laughs>
0: it's just like iguane and i are both like wow you know you guys are deathly afraid of this stuff and you are still brave enough to to try something you've never tried to cross them because you are that
3: set on your goal just you know further bolsters their reputation in my mind now look they, i don't think their reputation needs any bolstering um for anyone that is listening to this podcast that would have obviously read all of this. They know exactly how badass they are. And obviously, Just rightfully, sad. they get that uh, um, authority or that uh, respect that you uh, give them. Yeah, totally.
0: The I also like didn't see the I.I.L. war as a war at all. And no, it was an execution. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's that's yeah. all that it was. You you this is destroyed the carrying out of justice. Our most holy of uh, holiest of symbols. Um do you want it what's the tree's name, Moritz? Uh was it it was not the Aventasoro,
0: it was the other one. Mm. Is it is Aventasolera or something like that? A some
3: derivative. Avent A <laughs> 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 yeah, that's it. Well done. Rob. Which one is
0: a Vendasaur yeah. then? It's the tree of life. It's the original one that the that um the green man was protecting. Oh yes. It's the one uh whose leaves are also
3: depicted on the ways. And that's which one is the one in take the Lord of the Rings that is also uh Yggdrasil. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Marvel.
2: <laughs> um Yeah, <laughs> that's the White Tree. The I white tree, but, but it white also tree, had some
3: other, what other name? I'm sure it did. Jeez. What it was was a mystery. <laughs> Too much fantasy. Yeah, Elaine, sharp
0: cookie, eh? Hey? Adding two and two, <sighs> uh, it looks like Rand is here, comes with the dawn.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah, like she's connecting all the dots. I feel like those dots have been connected, but just a reaffirmation of it. Perrin has connected those dots. Yeah. I think Perrin uh, and Matt. They, they've actually. The, made I keep forgetting. This is the first time that uh, the girls actually face an Aiel. They weren't part, yes. part or partial to any of the other parties that came across the Aiel. No. So that is no. right. Yes. So they've never heard of
0: um, he who comes with the dawn. Mm. Um, as if the Aiel are not badass enough. You know when they're circling the fades, and saying "Dance with me, shadow man," they are looking the fades straight in the eye. And the fades have this like innate ability to cause fear in whoever they look at, and the Haile either don't fear them or fear them and still taunt them.
2: I think that they still they still feel the fear, but they overcome it. I think.
0: Yes, they yeah. almost embrace it. That's yeah. sort of like their whole shtick. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> Very cool, Moritz.
3: Oh well they were grateful that the girls stepped in and said, you know, Rook saying, you know, we, we would have danced with him, but maybe two, maybe three of us would have maybe four would have died. Who knows, maybe yeah. all of us, but we still would have danced. These yeah. O's like dancing, man. They really love their <laughs> rhythm. <laughs> yes, they do.
2: They're like the wolves. The wolves
3: in their heel. Like we'll we'll all die trying to kill these motherfuckers, but we don't care. Yeah, and you, the realm of man doesn't even know what it is and haven't seen a Trolloc for thousands of years they just now have to party it up and look at fireworks
0: I think someone mentions the wise ones and dreaming and sort of plants the seed in Egwene's head about going to seek further guidance about being a dreamer or a dream walker Mm. from the wise ones like
3: that comes up here already yeah, there's, there's a little chit chat about. There's actually quite a bit in here because there's a, a lot of introduction around Ail and the, obviously their culture and their ways. This is prolonged exposure to mm. Ail, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, we, we're blowing over it, but I mean, we're also not going to do it chapter or uh, sentence by sentence, everything that's being said, I suppose. <laughs> but there's, there's, there's quite a bit of that in there and all these little talk and the inner little jokes that they crack with each other. Quite a yeah. festive bunch as well. Yeah, quite a, quite a big lore dump in this mm. chapter, which is great. But I mean, none of it takes away from that momentous channeling death yeah. scene yeah. and the dancing of the spears. <laughs> the, f- the Fades felt that one. Oh, they 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 surely did. Now, mm-hmm. with the killing of the three Fades, mm-hmm. yes. how many Trollocs would have died if there were Trollocs linked
0: to them? Probably a whole bunch of them. <laughs> if hundreds. a fist of Trollocs dies in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, do they really die? <laughs>
3: Chilling in the way, sitting back, eating a leftover of a horse or whatever peasant they got their hands on. And then all of a sudden, like 300 Trollocs just died. Like, boom.
0: <laughs> Fall off a bridge into the <laughs> void. Yeah, <laughs> look, I don't think that every Fade has Trollocs linked to it. I don't know. They
3: don't. They don't elaborate on that ever. No, it's like you—you you kill the fade, you kill the trollic, don't you? So three fades just makes sense. If they had trollics, you
0: know, linked to them, what I'm saying is there are probably fades acting as lone agents that don't have a fist of trollics. Mm. Because sometimes fades need to move around without
2: these lumbering, loud, fucking <laughs> yeah. animals. Around. Yeah, they've got to be sneaky <laughs> sometimes, and you can't really yeah, hide. Moving a in the shadows trolux. doesn't help you if you Yeah. <laughs> 110 foot tall Trollocs behind you. Well, you, yes. you can always
3: leave them in the ways and hope that Ma- Mush and Shin doesn't eat them. <laughs> it's a big is hope. That... <laughs> it is.
0: <laughs> okay. Should we move along then to chapter 40 called A Hero in the Night?
2: Please take it away, our hero in the night, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Marts. Uh, when you when you play when you edit this, chuck in the little Bonnie Tyler song, please. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I need a hero. Exactly. As soon as I read this, uh,
3: that song has been in my head the whole morning now. No, you're serious. <laughs> <laughs> I've had two weeks of Disney princess songs in my head <laughs> Nowadays, <so. laughs> Frozen is a thing for her now, and it's not going away. <laughs>
2: no.
0: Yeah, strap in, dude. That's a couple Frozen of years. Frozen never
2: goes away. Well, back to the heroes, different heroes in a different night. We're back on the boat. We're on another boat now uh, with another character, but on the same river. So now we're with Matt and Tom, (laughs) and they're just coming into Arangil. uh, And there's so many refugees, man. Just the docks are packed with refugees. The ships that are coming in are ferrying refugees, well, half of the ships. like They're not carrying grain or whatever. It's just people and lots of little children clinging onto mother's skirts. Yes, Philly. Here's where they all are. (laughs) And, um, Matt finally showed Captain Malia the letter from Elaine while he was, uh, on this journey because the captain has been very persistent and trying to ingratiate himself with them this entire time. Um, Matt also has two full purses of gold and silver, uh, and no more willing gambling opponents. Everyone is now like, no, no, <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> We've got other things to do. We're busy. Um, he also opened the letter, Matt, uh, with a nice hot knife to see what was inside it. And there's nothing of any interest in there whatsoever, which I'm sure pisses him off even more. Uh Tom even read it and said it. Uh, Tom's read it and he said, Look, there's no ciphers or codes that I can see like that relate to the to the game of houses or or anything. So it's like literally a nothing letter. Um, so you know, Matt's like, well, whatever. He promised he's gonna deliver it, so by jove, he'll do it. That's the end. <laughs> So um, before disembarking, Matt takes one last swipe at the at the captain's expense, saying like, "Oh, maybe I'll sit here and have one last meal and a game of dice." Hey, what do you say? And the captain just goes white in the face, and he goes, "No, no okay, fine, I'll go." Um, Tom's not too happy with his like. Why do you keep on having to tease this guy so much? Like, I realize he's not a nice guy, but like, come on, man, you you're poking the the the, the sleeping bear here. You know, just just leave it alone. Also, on the way on this journey, Matt's hunger disappeared like two days ago because um, he's been eating the, the ship out of the house and home. There's no food left on board. <laughs> but like two days ago, his healing hunger disappeared. So Matt is back to full strength Matt. Welcome back, buddy.
3: Yeah. Uh, Phew. He's back. Why did he not back down and say, OK, cool, I don't, I'm not that hungry and take the food still at that volume and chuck it out the window? But, look, he's pushed his luck enough, I think. <laughs> Doesn't he say that he did do that? Yes, he did, he did. He says, it's like, yeah, well, two days ago already I started feeling full. So I just decided I'll just throwing it overboard. make sure no one watches Oh yes, out the window.
2: What a dick. <laughs> throwing away food. <laughs> that
3: is a bit of a dick move. I mean, there's yeah, people outside like starving. <laughs> he's throwing it overboard.
2: Yeah, well, Matt, what are you going to do? Matt going to Matt. Matt going to Matt. So they also, ironically, passed the girl's ship, the Blue Crane, yesterday, the day before, in this case. I don't mm-hmm. know, yesterday for you and me might be something else. So, uh, <laughs> so they had passed it, and the Captain Malia had not done anything, not stopped to help them or anything. And that's what Matt says is the, uh, is the reasoning behind him giving, like, one last dig uh, to the captain for not stopping to help. And, and Tom actually gives him shit, like, you know, like, you stop and help everybody you see. And Matt's all, like, tough guy uh i'll help people if they can pay but then they're walking through the town after disembarking and he sees one of the mothers with the little kids hanging on the skirts and he just digs money out of his pocket and and gives it to them you know and it's gold coins and sylvie doesn't even look he just shoves it in her hand it's like go go get food for the kids you know and tom just looks at him and he's like shut up (laughs) like yeah yeah you help them if they pay for you buddy. yeah whatever so he's not such a badass as he's trying to pretend to be no so yeah um he he asks one of the soldiers there guarding the docks like hey man we need to go find a place to stay can you recommend a good inn and he's like dude there's no inns there's no place there's you're not going to find anything and he goes what about some horses all the horses have been killed for food and eaten and tom's like eating horses just completely outraged so yeah things are bad there's no place to sleep everything's full there's no food they even chowing their horses shit has gone awry um, he also hears that Morgaze has given the order to stop the crossings over the river uh, the next day. And Tom actually mentions this as to be like, that doesn't sound like her at all. She's, she's very quick to anger, but she's not a mean person. She's very kind. She has a good heart. She would not stop helping these people. So we're already getting hints there that uh, Ravin has been influencing her. totally And making her, yeah. Because later on in these chapters that I've gone ahead. He does pop up there and you and you can see the the effect he's having on her. But mm-hmm. he has the first sign of it here. So yeah, Matt and Tom head into town anyway. They are turned away from inn after inn. It's like five inns later. Uh they've been asking, even you know, but Tom's like, listen, don't even ask about the the hay lofts and the barns. I'm not sleeping in haylofts and barns anymore. I'm an old man, but eventually they have to give in. Uh, even Tom with his gleeman's cloak is not having any luck, nobody's interested. So eventually they do get a hayloft in a stable but only because Matt lays out a substantial amount of gold and silver coins uh to the to the innkeeper and the innkeeper's like all right fine you know f- maybe I can find a little spot for you in a hayloft with with you know this amount of gold uh but he's not keen on selling his horses though but then Matt proposes a gamble
1: which is a bad <laughs>
2: idea <laughs> the innkeeper doesn't know but his greed overtakes him and he's like yeah because Matt tells him like look I'll I'll play you for dice like Two of your best throws against one of my throws. Whoever wins gets the horses. You know, he's like, oh, sweet. So now they have
3: horses. No, no. Whoever wins, <laughs> if if he loses, he'll buy the horses off him for double the gold that he paid for the hayloft. All right, did he? I uh, skipped that yeah, in yeah. my reread. All right. Yeah, he, uh, he was very nice about it, but he, he he kind of bamboozled him into pretty much buying the horses for cheap, I guess, for this for the economic times that they in.
2: Yeah. Well, look, he's got a place to sleep. He's got gold coming out of the wazoo and he's got some horses. So it's no no skin of his nose. He's fine. Matt's nose, that is. Mm. They got some shelter. And just in time, because there's a big storm brewing and the rain has arrived and they climb up into their hay hayloft, making some beds and they have some dinner. I suppose it's bread and cheese. I can't remember, but I can only assume <laughs> it's classic. bread and cheese. The classic bread and cheese. Um, and... Well, uh, and then Tom lights up his pipe, obviously, which I thought was maybe not such a good idea in a hayloft. But anyway, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and just then a slender woman wheels her cart into the stable. And it's, it's a ludra. Uh, but everything's dark. And then all of a sudden they hear some funny noises and the light comes up and she's, she's created fire. And Tom's even like, how did she do that so quickly, you know?
3: And we know that she's got Make her little to tricks. Strike a flint and a stone in this hayloft.
2: Yeah, and it's with in the dark in a hayloft, but it was done so quickly. Uh, she smells Tom's pipe before Matt can announce their presence. Though uh, four men enter the stable, and it's old Tammuz. You remember old Tammuz, don't you? From our little stint. In bloody fool! Mm. That bloody fool! So apparently, he left the punk's too close to the to the fireworks. And it was his fault, but he, in the end, didn't get blamed. She did. So she's mm, been mm-hmm. kicked out of the of the guild. But she's using her knowledge of fireworks to, to earn a living. Like, and she's, later on, she mentions like she's not going to starve to death with this, with this knowledge and not use it, you know. She's not giving away the secrets of the guild, but she's not going to not create fireworks. I mean, that's who she is. So apparently, he got her kicked out of the guild after that whole Rand, Loyal, and Landfear, Landfear scene in Kyrian. Um, and she's been making fireworks despite no longer being in the guild. And that's why they're following her, because they think, like, look, she's um, she's selling secrets or something, so they're going to kill her.
3: I just want to pipe in there the sure. absurd like, level of how Verin have influenced her to be kicked out of the guild, to then again be thrown another sort of gravity curve by Matt now being another <laughs> yeah. Verin. It's so like, she's mm-hmm. just a toy for Tavirin, yeah? Like, Ran mm-hmm. comes around and stuffs everything up. Like, she, there's <laughs> nothing that Twitter Tammuz or did wrong. Like, they were just like, and here they yeah, they are on the point of killing each other now because none of yep. them did anything, and Ran just managed to walk into their place.
2: Yeah. True, eh? I didn't think about it like that. But, yeah, she is again with another Tavirin. Like, that just set her on her path to eventually end up with Matt. So Ran put her on the path to, to meet up with Matt. All those months ago,
3: swept that spaceship in interstellar space into his gravity and <laughs> immediately into orbit <laughs> like it's done. Let's go make some cannons. Yeah, sure, Billy. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how I would have said it. <laughs> well, that's, I, I've got to look at the Viren as being big planets. They just affect everything around them, they just pull that's them
2: true. In. No, no, your analogy spot on
3: um it tracks it does so
2: yeah um so there's tammuz is like and all of a sudden the knife in his hand matt sees this and he doesn't even stop to think obviously thinking he's not a thinky boy like beefy boy and he <laughs> grabs a rope and he Tarzan's from the loft and bowls into the the men knocking them all onto the ground and and you know, now they're all on the ground and <laughs> he's got nothing. He didn't think this through at all. So these four <laughs> dudes stand up with their knives and he's like, ah, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Um, but just then Tom like calls him and is like, Hey, bro. And chucks down his quarter staff, which he snatches out of the air. i am kind of like getting a, like a matrix vibe <laughs> when it happens. I could just hear like matrix <laughs> music start playing as he snatches it out of the sky. And then, uh, yeah. So no problem now. Everything's sorted. It's ass kicking time. <laughs> So, yeah, I've also broken down a little bit of the moves as, as I tend to do with Matt's quarter staffiness. So, Tammuz is first. So, he knocks the, the the blade out of his hand and then to the head, crack, down. That's it, end of this man. Uh, his, then the next one is not very clear, but it's just a whirling of the staff. There's knees, ankles, ribs, and heads, and then everyone's down. <laughs> That's it, four guys, no problem. <laughs> Dealt All right. with. Dealt with. I mean, if he can take care of Gallad and Gawain, that quickly these four stupid whoever the hell they are these nobodies or as uh, as allude refers to them sons of motherless goats or something um <laughs> this is this is not a challenge for him whatsoever so they're all down matt turns to Eludra, and his classic line is like did you have to choose this stable to be murdered in and she's like, well,
3: you know, shit, sorry. <laughs> you sorry, know. it was an open stable.
2: <laughs> Fuck, you know, it was raining outside. I just came inside. Was, nobody was watching this place, and here I am. So now Tom is, Tom is only now climbing down from the loft. There was no need for him during this fight. Uh, he threw down the, the quarterstaff. That was his his role in this. There are, of course, introductions. Um, you know, my name is Tom Merlin, and a flowing of the cloak and the flurry, and, a, you know, as he always does. And Matt, who has a tendency to attract uh, attention, he's think, I think he calls him. It's like, yes, yes, he does indeed. Hmm. There's a reward. She's like, look, I haven't got any money. Like, uh, Thank you for your help, but I can give you some fireworks. And I'm thinking as well, my, nets, my, my notes are Matt plus fireworks equals bad. So anyway, <laughs> he gets he gets some fireworks. And I can just imagine Tom going, no, no that's a bad idea. Uh, he's reaching out to touch them. And she slaps his hand away. And she's like, no, first listen to me, you son of a bitch. So she gives him some <laughs> safety instructions, which is obviously going to ignore straight away, and some like you know details on how they work. And she's like, trying to explain the fuse, and, she, and he's like, ah, oh, yes. What does he say? It? Uh, where you put the fire? And she's like, yes, where you put the fire. <laughs> it's like uh, it reminding me of Arya, you know, sticking with the pointy end. I was so just like, yeah. going to say that. Get out of my head. <laughs> it's like she just like looks at him like he's a moron like yes will you put the fire <laughs> very good and her last instruction to him is do not cut them open And <laughs> he's like yeah i've heard that before when i cut them open the last time and i'm so gonna cut <laughs> yes. them open again <laughs> which he does <laughs> later on it's like but anyway so why even talk to him about it uh so yeah before the sons of goats awaken they decide to to leave uh Eludra says look she's going to head to lugard uh, not Cameland, because probably these guys think logically she'll be going to Cameland, so she's going to subvert expectations and uh during his uh well matt's theatrical uh aerial maneuvers lo- all of his gold and silver flew out of his pockets and is still all scattered on the floor so he feels bad is because he knows like she's got all these fireworks um but she hasn't got any money so she's like yeah take some money you know and go get yourself something to eat and she's she declines she's like yeah nev- never mind i'll i'll take care of myself thanks tom asks her then how she got start how she got that fire started so quick and she's uh, she calls them sticks that's all the information she gives uh her matches obviously as we learn later on in the story but not even the guild knows that secret though that is her secret alone and she's not she's not in love so she's not going to give it to him she says uh on her way out as well, I like how she gives Tammuz a kick in the ribs <laughs> before she leaves. <laughs> uh, so well, Matt and Tom can't stay there either now because there's all these dudes that are lying all on the ground. They'll probably wake up and try and kill them again. All the, all the guard will come and they're not going to believe these two people sleeping in the hayloft. So like, listen, they better get the fuck out of Dodge as well. So they saddle their newly acquired horses and gallop hmm. out into the rainy, dark night. And that's how we end this chapter.
0: Ah, Matt. Always the related hero.
3: Indeed. Now we've had two uh, fights with Matt where he had to take the lead and we've seen Tom on two occasions hang back. And I think Tom has now realized after the last time he took on a fade that stuff these boys they get me way too much like I'm just gonna hang back i'll'll I'll pipe in when it's when it's needed like, I'm not gonna lead anymore I'll, I'll
2: lob in a dagger or two yes. yeah
3: I'll, I'll flick a dagger and'll I'll flick your stick to you your quarter star and I
2: think as well like I mean Tom has got the high ground he's up in the loft with his blades like if there was any issue he would have stepped in obviously but there wasn't really a need for it but I'm sure if, no. if matt got into trouble a dagger would have been Flattering past his eyes into the chest of some Tammuz or other motherless son of a goat.
3: Nah, no, definitely. But 100%. yeah, it's interesting. Fantastic. Oh.
1: <laughs>
2: Love Old it. Matt. You say a reluctant hero, but he wasn't reluctant in this. He just acted. He just jumped down, yeah. grabbed the rope, swung into them, and then uh, lost all his money. Didn't have any weapons. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, shit. But he does
0: <laughs> say at the end of the chapter, he goes, a bloody hero. Tom, if I ever look like acting the hero again, you kick me. You'll <laughs> <laughs> be a hero again. You'll see. Oh, He, he and Tom himself. go into the Tower of Genji like on quite a, a heroic journey. Yeah, man. That's right. a suicide mission. Yeah, big time. Here's a little fun thing that I picked up on. When they're in the town, after they've got off the boat, and there's a soldier that's sort of like moving people along, Matt comments on the soldier saying he had the grizzled look of a squadman, an experienced leader of 10 or so. There's no mm. way Matt Cawthon from Eamon's Field would know that. That's no. definitely his battle memories mm. surfacing. Definitely, yeah. Well. Oh. I never picked up on that. That's true. Yeah, it was like a very specific read that he took off this guy, which I thought was cool. Um, What else did I have in here? Not much that you didn't say already, Joe. Oh, wait, actually,
1: I no. lie. <gasps> Liar.
0: When Eludra mentions Galdrian dying, Tom grimaces. Mm.
2: In my notes, I have in capital letters, proof. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> yes, I remember. I did pick up on that. Forgot to mention it, but I yes. did pick up on that. Yeah. She talks about how, like, Kyrian gets
3: into chaos
0: mm. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I, no, I'm now even more convinced. Yeah. Right then, the next chapter is chapter 41 called A Hero's Oath. Perrin and co arrive at the docks of Ilion, and Perrin is taking in the sights and the smells. Mm. A lot of smells going around, tanneries and swamps and all kinds of stuff. And Perrin's wolfish nose is picking up on all of it at the same time. Um, but he's taking in the sights and smells because he is specifically trying to avoid the tension on deck. Uh, Moraine is pissed that Fail had told Perrin she knew Moraine was Aes Sedai and that Fail was following them because she believed that they would lead her to the horn. But specifically because Perrin had withheld that information from Moiraine. She wasn't as angry that Fahil knew or thought that, but that Perrin actually kept that from her. Um, So Moiraine was not outwardly angry, but she was being very cold and very sort of stoic. Uh, But it sets everyone on edge, even like Fahil would try and smile at Moraine, who would then simply turn away and fail with sort of like wipe her brow, you know, like trying to act brave. But Moraine is putting everyone on edge, including the crewmen. But oddly, Lan actually seems to think it's funny, like almost smiling. Uh, and Perrin says that a few days earlier, he heard Moraine ask Lan in a voice like ice whether he saw something to laugh at, to which he <laughs> responded with, and this is the quote, I would never laugh at you, Moraine, to so die. But if you truly intend on sending me to Morel, I must become used to smiling. I hear Morel tells her warders jokes. Gideen must smile at their bondholders' quips. You have often given me quips to laugh at, have you not? Perhaps you would rather I stay with you after all. And she had given him a look that would have nailed any other man to the mast, but the warder (laughs) never blinked. Lan made cold steel seem like tin. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Lan lately has been really quippy and I don't he know, is. flippant? Like his little like little poetic turns in the in the last podcast. Yes. You mentioned it as well. Something's going on with totally. this guy. I don't know. Oh, what's going He's on with him? He's obviously yeah. missing his love. Um, So anyway, so everyone's walking on
0: eggshells around Moraine and like this tension on the boat, like to the point where Loyal has just stayed in his like sweltering cabin to avoid (laughs) the vibes, like under the pretences of going over his notes. But uh, Perrin reckons it was just to avoid Moraine. Uh, So Perrin is just trying to focus on the city, hoping that its size and the, the fact that it is, you know, so far away from where they were would keep the wolves at bay. The ship had outrun the wolves that had followed him from the mountains. And his dreams had become more normal. I think uh, since that first night when he sort of saw Lanfear and Isham Isle, uh, there were only two other times where he sort of accidentally entered the wolf dream, but Hopper would always chase him away, just telling him it's too dangerous. So eventually the boat docks and they disembark, you know, the the horses get unloaded um, and Perrin feels a sort of like a tickle at the back of his neck before he realizes he can smell the lavender soap that Fail uses close by. And she's basically just, you know, trying to antagonize Perrin the whole time. She's taking great enjoyment out of making him uncomfortable. She's just making him squirm. But then Moraine approaches as well, and she tells Zerine, which she insists on calling her, that she needs to leave them and find uh, better hunting elsewhere. But Fail promptly declines. She's determined and resolute to stick with them. So Moraine asks if she's certain, uh, that she wants to stay, and Lan sort of gives a very veiled, thinly veiled threat that, you know, it might not be safe for her, but Perrin immediately uh, sort of comes to Fahil's defense and tells Lan there's no need to, to threaten her, Lan, uh, which is telling, you know, Perrin already sort of sticking up for Fail. but um, Moraine actually then acquiesces, much to Lan's surprise but with conditions, obviously. Fahil must swear her hunter's oath to do as Moiraine says and not to leave them, to ask no questions of where they go or why. Or Moiraine says, or you will stay in Ilian until I choose to come release you. This I swear. Um, So Fahil sort of gulps and says, uh, okay, she'll swear to obey. Uh, And Moiraine says, it's done. And she touches Fahil's forehead. Uh, and Fail shivers so what the fuck was that
2: like did she mark did she her channel at her I, I think so i think it's like when moraine gave the coins to the boys or something like she just marked her so like to keep yeah. tabs on her yeah which is I, I hope that comes
0: up again because that is like quite a significant thing that we haven't seen her do before moraine tells perrin that faill is his responsibility uh, much to Fahil's dismay and protest, you know, I'm no one's responsibility but my own, blah, blah, blah. We get it. You're independent. We get it, Perrin. It's just not your responsibility. But Moraine has spoken. Moraine continues to tell Perrin that he seems to have found Min's Falcon. She even calls him taverin You seem to have found Min's Falcon, taverin mm. Yet remember this. If I must, I will snip your thread from the pattern. And if the girl endangers what, what must be, you will share her fate.
3: Like shit making no bones about it, eh? <laughs> cold, cold, cold. I'm gonna go out on a limb there and say that her very hard reaction over here and trying to pull such heavy rank is because Lan gave her a good little chirp. <laughs> She's best <pissed. laughs> maybe. It's
0: all sort of blending together. She needs to well, she needs to scare the bejesus out of Fael to make her like fall in line. Perrin has in the recent past sort of shown signs of um being headstrong and sort of doing his own thing, withholding information from her and, you know, earlier sort of having that, like we said in the beginning of the book, that little power struggle with Moraine. So she is laying down the law. She's now got more people to sort of keep under wraps um, and she is just making sure that everyone understands that she is in charge and she is quite effective at that because Perrin protests that, you know, Fail's not his responsibility but Moraine doesn't care and they they sort of ride off already. And then Fail immediately starts rifling off some questions about are you... To uh, who's this Min and who's perching on your shoulder? I'm not perching on anyone's shoulder, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Perrin is sort of like thinking to himself, of course, Bloody Min told Moraine everything about my viewing. So Moraine has known all along that something about a falcon was going to be significant to Perrin, uh, probably even about Gaul in the cage. Moraine must have known something was going to happen in Riemann when they when they rode in there. But as Perrin's sort of grumbling um, to himself and, and thinking this stuff, he he's sitting on stepper and he reaches down and he hoists Fail onto the horse behind him and uh they ride off with Perrin still grumbling about her calling him blacksmith and big man that's not his name his name is Perrin so Fahil immediately calls him shaggy hair <laughs> <laughs> he, he boots the horse to ride off um and she almost falls off but like sort of wraps her arms around him. And as they're riding off after the others, Perrin can swear that she's actually laughing, obviously enjoying this little adventure that she's going on. That's the end of that chapter. Short and sweet. What? Yeah.
3: End of that. Beefy boy's yeah. got a girlfriend on a saddle. Ooh. So the
0: hunter's oath from the title, I guess is just
2: to say that Fahil has sworn an oath to now be a part of the party. And she's been channeled into her brain, so she's bound. Something, yes. yeah, we definitely got to keep an eye on that. Something happened there. Yes. Could we perhaps put a pin in it? Perhaps. I'll leave that up to
0: you, Moritz. You decide. Hmm. I will sleep on it. Okay. No, I'll definitely be keeping my eyes peeled because yeah, I want to see if you know. I can't remember if Moraine ever has to like find her or sense what direction she's in because she's trying to find Perrin or something along those lines. But yeah, this jumped out at me this time as something I hadn't seen her do. It's not the same as the coins. I mean, it might serve the same purpose, but there she gave the boys coins. Where here she actually channeled into a person.
3: Yeah, without that's
2: interesting. Warning her or getting permission. That seems. I think Moraine's mm. losing it a bit. Yeah, she's um, she's freaking out, maybe because she doesn't she's losing control. She doesn't know what's happening, where Rand is, and she's stressing out. She's now got kind
0: of confirmation that Lanfear is out and about. Um, she probably at this point has her suspicions about this. But in the dreams being Ishamile. Mm. yeah, yeah.
2: She's yeah, she's losing a grip on things,
0: mm. and she's trying now to sort of regain control. Yeah. making everyone fall in line and now land is laughing at her Ooh, land <laughs>
3: <laughs> god i love him too hey eh? <laughs> <laughs> gotta love him yeah, so yeah well not a lot well, from she that did chapter. threaten him with morale she did say she passed his bond on over if something would happen with her
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: i don't think that was a threat i think that is fact it's yeah. done yeah So do you guys have anything
0: more from that chapter? Because if not, it's time to go to favorite
2: moments. Mm -hmm. I think we all have the the same favorite moments, do we not? No, I don't. I don't have the
3: same as you. I know.
2: I avoided the obvious choice. Well, I'll take the Ah. obvious choice then. Okay, Joe, you go. (laughs) Teamwork? Are we we all thinking that's the obvious one? Uh, three fades being burning from the inside, smooshed into a ball and then bail fired out of existence after doing massive healing beforehand, like just epic epicness.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, Rowan wrote in and said like his favorite moment was basically everything that happens is everything that happens in that chapter. When the I step in the door to the end, like, <laughs> Yes, just, it's all over. It's so quickly. And it is all awesome. Yeah. Um, and I mean I'll back him up in that as well, in that specifically that the fact that the Ayel are sort of like dancing around the fades and on don't seem to be outwardly affected by their their eyeless stare of fear. And you? Yeah. That's that's epic. So I specifically tried to not choose that one. But Vili, let's see
3: what you chose. I uh, really, really, really enjoyed the little Continuous cutaway to Nynaeve when she is trying to, for the first time, heal uh, mm. Dylan and her little well, stick with swords and woman and just the little <laughs> rants. And then her getting all of a sudden just, okay, cool. Now that I, I can reach out and touch it, let me show you how to use it and just drop some weaves, some intricate. <laughs> 20, level 24 carpets, <laughs> blindfolded weaves, <laughs> and just healing where, I mean, some healing like that would have completely, like, made Moraine be, comp- she would need uh, that little ungreel that she has mm. to do If she even like knew that. those weaves. If she even knew yeah. those weaves, it might have even been past her. And I don't know where and what Naniv has been watching. But she just drops it. And then immediately after that drops Bellfire. It's like, come on. Yeah. It's an epic, epic
0: moment. Um, So much so that it is my favorite moment (laughs) 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 that I chose. (laughs) Stolen. (laughs) You should have gone first. (laughs) Uh. I never go first. But um, I I had a backup, like another honorable mention mention for me was... um, Meeting Avienda and Ruach and the Aeel customs and humour and stuff like just that mm. like big Aeel info dump is is awesome and I love Avienda and I love Ruach as well. Like Ruach also plays a massive role in the story later. Like, like he becomes yeah. a, a sort of trusted advisor to Rand, um, you know, almost like a pseudo father figure at some point. And I'm pretty sure Rand like leaves him in charge of Camelin at some point. Like that he, he leaves the Aeel behind and is like, hold this city for Elaine until she comes to claim the throne. And Ruach is like this Aeel clan chief and almost de facto
3: king of Camelin. I don't recall oh, that, but that does ring a bell. There's so much still coming, man. There's so much still like I go through what are we reading and I've said it so many times, and I'm like, damn, what else is there that I've got to go, forgotten? What else is coming? So much, Billy. <laughs> so much. We <we've> forgot. <laughs> so
2: Almost all. We of it. So
0: early in the series, right? Like, this is only book three. And, like, I keep going, oh,
2: what? This is happening already? Oh, yeah. What's going to be in the other books? Awesomeness. Is this also, I just yeah. want to bring it up, is this going to be our new measurement for weaves? Like, we're going to just measure it by the amount of carpets. Like, that lay, <laughs> that was like a four carpet weave.
0: <laughs> and then when they reinvent traveling, oh, that's a six carpet
2: weave. Oh, I don't know. Bro. We're going to have to really you know, break it down because six carpets seems too little for traveling. <laughs> yeah, no,
3: you're going to have to start working cubes of carpets. <laughs> it's our own unit of measure. <laughs> yes.
2: Which we have traditionally not been very good at. <laughs> it's because we haven't had our own one, Moritz. We can make the rules now. Okay. We're in charge. This is true. This is true. Okay, so to our
0: listeners, send in your favorite moments, your corrections, your theories, or whatever you want to us, um, probably via Twitter is the easiest way, at Blood and Ash Pod. Uh, we've got other social media links in the description of the episode, uh, but we are always keen to hear from you, tell your friends. Uh, let's continue to simulate that sort of wheel of time discussion when you meet up with other people that have read the stories, all the stuff that you want to get off a chest, all the things you want to sort of nerd out about. That's That's what we're here for. Uh, that's why we're doing this. So do join us in that. And then also do join us for the next episode where we will cover chapters 42 through 47. Chapter 42 being <laughs> easing <I> the <don't laughs> badger. <what> <laughs> easing the badger. I mean, that sounds borderline like a euphemism. And chapter 47 is to race the shadow. Mm-hmm. Um oh. We are getting to the real pointy end of this book now. And as I said in a previous episode, the, the last couple of chapters don't exactly play along uh, in terms of like, you know, breaking it up into six uh, nice, easily uh, divvied up chapters for, for us to cover in an episode. So uh, we'll probably have some odd episode lengths, but I mean, that's always been the case. We've, yeah. we've never had lengths at all. <laughs> but what I will say is that we probably won't have another three hour episode. Uh, as the finale, we'll will split it into two smaller ones because <laughs> in that the end of the great aunt, I could hear how fatigued we were. At the end <laughs> that of the was so we running out of energy long levels, session. came <laughs> way way down. So <laughs> this one will split up a bit more. I think it's uh, we'll do like I think there's nine chapters left, and we'll do like four and then five or something like that. But as we go along, I'll obviously announce the chapters for the next episode so you guys can read along. And on that exciting note, I think we will call it a day. And I thank you, gentlemen, for joining me again. And I will see everyone next time. Kapla! See you next time. (laughs) What
2: was that, Joe? What was that? That's my Klingon Klingon sign-on. It means success. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Cheers.